Wakey, wakey, Iggy Biggy. Tis the Smart Coast Morning Show, blasting awesome sauce all over your interwebs. Oh, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Smod Coast Morning Show Tuesday Left Coast Edition. Thank you, Will Wilkins, for getting us on. They think this is probably the most on time we've been, probably since, oh, easily since James. Um, but yes, that the reason why is because people actually told me that they weren't going to make it today. Um, <laughs> usually, it's just like I don't know. He said he was coming. Um, but I, how hard is it to get up in the morning and, and make it here by nine? That's my question. Or, or just to let me know that you're not going to make it. Yeah. There's a hate-hate relationship with this show. No, 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 no. Nothing but love. Nothing, Nothing but, but love. Because uh, just so everyone knows, um, Bill is pitching his movie today. Wonderful. And that's why he couldn't come here. Dan is still working on iZombie stuff. And Emily is... Is it iZombie or iZombie? It's... Zombie. 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 Yeah. Like iPad iZombie? Yeah, I zombie, I zombie, I zombie, I zombie, I zombie. That's what that's what it's called on the. Is it you know for my morning know. jacket or my morning jacket or my morning jacket? I saw Diane Ruggiero uh, over the weekend. She's one of the co-creators of the show, and uh, she said that it's going well. And so we're all looking forward to that getting picked up, right? You said it's a sure thing, right? It's a sure thing. Hollywood insiders say it's a lock. Is that the, the Hollywood term? That's what Deadline Hollywood says. I don't, that, that's as close as I am to Hollywood is uh, I follow Nikki Fink on Twitter. Um, wow. What's this, what's this Twitter thing? By the way, you can tweet at us. That's at Nooner Dan Marty. Email us. Uh, the, the mail sack is woefully thin today or woefully light there. Uh, it's nearly so as thin as Bill's uh, receding hairline. Oh, his oh. hair is full and lush. Mm. He, um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, oh, that, that's noonerpodcast at gmail.com. I'm going on like three hours sleep, so if I sound uh, loopier than normal, that's the reason why. Did you have a lady friend over? No, I was just working. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this isn't a lie detector test. You could have said, yeah. It was, oh, yeah. I had, I, I had ladies every yeah, hour. It was about, yeah, okay. it's just like they cycle through. You know, My the, Tinder app uh, exploded. It's, uh, you know, there was that Confessions of a Call guy on, uh, in, in Huffington Post who talked about all the women he serviced. serviced. That was me. That's a Smodcast exclusive. Smodclusive. Smod- <laughs> it's a smodclusive. Um, and by the way, for those of you who are worried about the recording situation... Thanks to your fantastic Indiegogo generosity, I bought a 16 gig <laughs> card for card for d- my recorder, deep enough to to handle all of the the, the nonsense that comes through the mics. We're and going needs to be all potted. night, all night today. Um, we're going all, all night, night today. today. We're going to start that's, that's for the a, day. You, know what? you just wrote a meat love song. We're oh. going all night in parentheses today. <laughs> I would do anything for love parentheses, but not that. that that's a meat love song. Uh, Lou is actually in um, New Orleans, but Darren tweeted in and said that one year since Emily O'Hara be- became a merp, she's not here, uh, but I did hear Typical from her. Typical em- Emily. She will be here eventually, and it's been 10 months since since she last tweeted. Oh. Yeah. Do you want a little more sound in there? My ears just went out. I oh. mean, my, my head cones. My head, my head things. Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> All right, yeah, because we can't really hear our own voices because we're only three feet away from each other. <laughs> um, I don't even know. Why do we wear this? I guess so, so we know it's recording. Um, let's, let's see. And then uh, 
Allison Jones is always very nice with the with the uh, Follow Fridays, and Jenny Maria hopefully is listening, and Chris Brown in Saskatoon is listening. Uh, so last week we didn't really get into this because it happened the night before. Um, is that uh, well? Okay, there was a, an execution last week in, in Oklahoma. And they say a botched death execution, but he died. So I would say that's a success. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, but it was an ugly scene. But in a recent YouGov slash Huffington Post poll, over 65% of Americans believe in capital punishment. They're wrong. Uh, but, well, John Oliver said on his HBO show, have you been watching it? I have not seen it yet. It's cute. I mean, he's, I think he's very funny. I don't think he's as quite as uh, an engaging personality as Stephen Colbert, but he is very funny and really, really smart. And that counts for a lot. That's better than what I did. He likened uh, the capital punishment to a, a McRib. That, like, if, if you said something about it in the abstract, you know, should bad, bad people be killed? You know, um, you know, should they be removed from the earth? You'd be like, sure. Okay, well, here's how we have to do it. And that's like, all of a sudden gets really icky and ugh, And like, that's what the McRib is. Like, do you want a, a pork sandwich you can get for a couple bucks and you know, uh, through in a drive-through, sure. And then when you see that it's formed in, to look like bones, and it's like I think you just found out the new way to uh, execute people is death by the <laughs> grip. That's good. Thank you, John Oliver. Yeah. Uh, so this go work on a show. This We're case sharp fuckers. Oh no, I'm I'm wait. Look, just, and I know nothing about the case, but look, was it a, a white a white woman they executed? Uh, yes, it was a, oh. a young white woman, very pretty. Yes. Okay. It's interesting. Uh, no, this was his name was Clayton Lockett, and he was a black fellow. Oh. And he killed a white girl. And let's make no mistake, he was a fucking like piece of shit. He was this. Yes. He shot a nineteen-year-old girl, woman, um, woman, woman, and buried her in a shallow grave while she was still alive. Because she wouldn't willingly give up her truck when he was trying to steal it from her. What's the takeaway? Takeaways: let him take, ha- let truck. him have the Tacoma. Yeah, it's not worth it. And, and like, so there's no question he was a waste of human life. And yes. and so he was sentenced to death because that's what we do in this country. In, in most states, there there's a handful of states, like a dozen or so, that have outlawed uh, execution. But like, for instance. Not California. I know, but do you know any? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Illinois was one of the earlier it's ones. Illinois. Illinois. Come on. In. I went to state school. Here, Illinois. Come on. Here the Illinois. Massachusetts, I don't think, executes uh, people. No, no. Yeah, Deval Patrick, I think he, mm. he was the one who did it. But yeah. it's all been a recent thing, and it's sort of But that's on. like when you're about to murder someone, you have to stop, and like there needs well, to be an app where you're like... Right, uh, right, right. Am I in the state am, where I'm... Yeah, like, am yeah. I going to do life, or am I going to die? Oh, life. Fuck it, I'll kill her. Like, we are basically the only civilized Western nation that has capital punishment. Canada, Mexico, most of South America, all of Europe, except for Kazakhstan and Belarus. Mm. <laughs> like The New Jersey it's of Europe. All, right. It's, and you would expect, <laughs> Central yeah. Asia. Like, if you lived in Belarus, you'd be like, you just kill me. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're, you do me, me a favor. favor. <laughs> you owe me a Coke. Um, China, they execute people. China, yeah. Asia is different. We, they have no in Asia and Africa. They have no value. Yeah, they put life no value is cheap. In, yeah, life is incredible. Life is a cheap. McRib. It's a dollar ninety nine. It comes once a year. <laughs> okay, but um, I, yeah, I, by the way, uh, John Oliver, if you're listening, that was Steve Kruger. Uh, yeah, yeah, copyright me. Yeah, so, no, he's is, he's, looking, he's looking for work. <laughs> no, I don't want to work. I know more talk shows. Um, but, but I'm strangely on the same page with you. I think I know where you're going with this, that you're, you're for capital punishment and 
Right. No. Conceptually. No. No, well, I mean... You're anti-capital punishment. No. Okay, well, let, let, no? me, let me go through this. So, other countries employ firing squads and public beheadings. <laughs> firing squads. But we, we have the Eighth Amendment, which says that... Which bans cruel and unusual punishment. And you could argue that any execution is cruel and unusual... Uh, we as a nation have decided that the best way to kill someone uh, that is neither cruel nor unusual is um, lethal injection. And this was uh, proposed in 1977 by this doctor in Oklahoma who w- just he just came up with this uh, this cocktail. Have they not been listening to the podcast? Helium. Helium. You put the bag over the head That's, and you have a little yeah. party and you go, I'm sleepy, and you go night-night. Yeah. I, I mean, just look at how old people and cancer-riddled Patients kill themselves, and let's just apply that to well to uh, murderers. I don't know why they didn't. Ju- they don't just inject them with whatever they give my dog when or the the one I. <laughs> what put what her are you sleep. injecting your dog with? No, when I put her. Oh, to when you sleep. when you're when you're done with a dog. Yeah. Oh, because that that happened like instantly, and she just she just fell asleep, and that I mean it was horribly sad. And well, I think those people that do that at dog places, what are they called? Murderers, <laughs> dog murderers, vets, vets. Um, they do that quite. Often. I'm sure there are a couple times a day they right. have to put an animal down. I, right. They don't kill people on a daily basis, so I don't think the training is there. I don't think they have the hours in the air, the Gladwellian ten thousand hours of killing people. Well, the, the, <laughs> this doctor, Doctor Chapman um, in Oklahoma, he he proposed this, this combination that ultimately turned into a combination that involved an anesthetic, a paralytic, so you couldn't, you can't see the, the death throes as they're happening, and then mm. followed by a barbiturate, which is the thing, uh, which is a, a lethal, lethal dose of barbiturate. And either the patient is dying of an overdose or they're suffocating from the paralytic, but the doc, Dr. Chapman, said he didn't care what killed them as long as they died. So he didn't even know if it, how it worked. Right. And so <laughs> Helium or heroin. Didn't Peaches I, Geldof yes. died of a heroin? Just uh, yes. shoot heroin into I, them and they go to sleep and then they're done. Well, yes. So... Uh, Apparently, this is what we as a culture have uh, have decided is the, the most humane way to kill a human being. What I wanted when I was a little kid, I, I don't know where my brain was at, at seven or, or nine, but I thought I would see movies and I would see stunts and then I would watch the making of. And it right, was right. a man fell off a building, but he really fell into a, a big inflated airbag. Thing, airbag. Yeah. And I always thought, oh, they should just take prisoners on death row and... <laughs> And just like the the most amazing stunt, you're like, wow! There was no bag, there were no wires. That guy really hit the ground. <laughs> you saw him, yeah. He, he didn't look at anything like. Uh, and this, uh, the Sean movie Connery, studios but... will, will pay back. Well, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever. The bad guy gets thrown off of the the roof, and you're like, holy! Right. And by the way, you're going to be in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> we, we well, the studio to... pays a hundred grand, right? To no, but you tell for... the patient, like yeah, the the prisoner, like you're going to be in you're in, you're going to be in, uh, in uh, Spider Man three. Spider Man three, really? Yeah, you you need to be in the Sears Tower. Oh, it's going to be the most at, amazing stunt. It's going to be in all the trailers. Golden hour. You're not going to be able to see it. We're going to mic you too. Okay. Because we, you know, those Foley screams we use are just nothing like the real thing. That Um, would be awesome. Or, you know, now today, like Red Bull sponsors this guy and then puts a, uh, a GoPro on his helmet. And he just, right. just throw, just like, like the, what was it? The, the, the beer garden. What's his name? Who went up to the, the highest point and jumped off with a parachute? Uh, um, Felix Baumgarten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just that without the parachute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would, and, and you like, would get a trillion hits on YouTube. Like, oh my God, he's still falling. Oh, he's still screaming. Oh my, oh, here's the ground. Here, that would, you know, yeah, that that's that would fix. Are you recon- not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> Plat. <laughs> Done. 
Yes. There's there's no, uh, well, it was a botched execution. No, the guy jumped from 19 miles up. He's dead. Yeah. And what a great show we had. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, pass like a, pass like a, me a Red Bull. Yeah, but like a car crash where you're like, nobody could have lived to that. No, no no one did. Well, you know those Austrians. They, I'm sure they'd be up for it. <laughs> exactly. So... Um, that that's because Steve worked for on a Red Bull. Oh, show. hey, uh, go go put that camera over by that yeah. train there. You make him a first assistant cameras on movies. Boom! Oh, oh, I got Jesus. killed. Well, uh, well, for in the case of the sorry US, to anyone who has friends on death row. I'm, I don't be insensitive. <laughs> um, so this barbiturate that they were using, it's sodium pentothiate or something like that. So mm. It's um, it's was intended to be used as a medicine. But it's no longer manufactured in this country. So the only other place where it's made is Europe. Mexico. And EU, oh. the EU has banned its exportation to the U.S. because nobody in the EU is uh, – they're anti-capital punishment. So, so Oklahoma – But all right. Okay. We can knock people out. We can uh, – we have uh, NO2 or, or whatever not, – not uh, nitrous. But wait, you go to sleep during surgery, yeah, right? Yeah. You're – Asleep, you're mm-hmm. not awake, so we can do that. And then just put someone in a guillotine while they're asleep, and head comes off, person no longer alive. Look, yes, or a firing squad, but they're asleep. Okay, well, so the governor, the governor <laughs> of Oklahoma, she pushed this execution uh, through, and did not have uh, somebody had to come up with a new cocktail for the lethal injection, and so they came up with another three piece cocktail. And after 10 minutes, they, he was inc- unconscious, and that's when they start injecting him with the other stuff. Apparently, something went wrong, and he started writhing and spasming. And they called off the execution, which I don't think you can really do. You can't um, unring that bell. Yeah, you can't st- put that toothpaste back in the tube. Nope. But even so, they did not have a protocol for should something happen. And they said that he had... Get that. an axe and chop his head off. He's dead. Okay. He's not... Right. He's not... It's over. It took him 40 minutes for him to die of a heart attack, and that's okay. not how he was supposed to die. Um, so they're investigating what went wrong because they've got another guy who's waiting in the wings to... Who's excited. <laughs> yeah, he's oh, wait, like, what? ooh, I get to be... Yeah, so that, like, Drawn and quartered, that sounds wonderful. These guys are, are basically guinea pigs. There, there's no protocol for... Or there, there's no precedent. That, yes. So stepping back from this, like I'm, ha- I'm happier... That Clayton Lockett is no longer a part of this world. Um, that's that is to say, if everything about his conviction was true, and from what little I've read, it, it seems indisputable. But the National Academy of Sciences just published a report that estimates that 4.1 percent of death row inmates are actually innocent. I have I have no issue with they're innocent or not. It, it's not a deterrent, obviously. Well, like yes. when you when you are murdering someone, you you don't think about the death penalty, so it doesn't save any lives. Okay, so basically they they calculated how many death row inmates whose sentences were commuted or, or reduced and taken off death row, and who were actually later exonerated, and then compared that number to the number of inmates who were on death row and were exonerated and. They found that four. They, their estimate is that over four percent are innocent. So, but isn't rotting away in a jail cell worse? Well, yes, but uh, okay. But uh, here's the question. First, uh, the first question is: Are you okay with killing one innocent person for every twenty-four guilty ones for the sake of "quote unquote" justice? No. Yeah, okay. I am not I mean, for the death penalty personally. Right. But and so, like everybody who supports the death penalty. 
if you believe in it, just ask yourself, is that okay that one innocent – we know for a fact that we have put innocent – just see – no, he should service that dead girl's family for the rest of his life. If they're well, like, I'm sure they don't want you know, anything to do with him. Well, no, I mean he doesn't go clean their gutters. <laughs> oh, hey, they got to kill up? their daughters yeah. here. So we're gonna need the back house painted. Yeah. Uh, By the primer. way, you lost weight. Yeah, you oh, look good. No, look good. he sh- he should just sit in a factory, and they're like, you know what? I'd like a new car, and he's got to spend a year making a car for them from scratch. Yeah. He should spend the rest of his life paying back the debt. Yeah, in, what, you're, in you're whatever, right. they, whatever they see fit, but murdering him like, is just no another... murderer has been like, oh yeah, like should I? I, I really want to kill this person, but I might. I'm in death row state, so no, it's not. A, it's been. I'm not making that up. No, 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 that, that is like, yeah. like, like data I have and, gleaned from the Huffington Post. Is it justice? Like, is that? Is it? Are we an eye for an eye sort of culture? No, I, it doesn't and, bring and, the person back. Ask, yeah, ask the victims if they feel better about like. You know, but e- either way, it, it, ultimately, it's like petty, mindless revenge. You should have a slave for the rest of your life right. that sits in a cell and doesn't get to do anything. And if he had any honor, he would just kill himself. Every night, sure. there's just a guillotine yeah, yeah, yeah. that he can put his head in and like, right, you right. know what? If we were an honorable society, right. I killed your daughter. I should kill myself. We left you extra belts in yeah. your in Oh, your just cell. A, like a loaded gun. Yeah. Like, yeah, kill she, yourself. She laces but and- when you're not killing yourself... Um, we need you to, to make some moves on the stock market with the family's money. You know, we need you to uh, build stuff for them. That's, right, a, that's I'm gonna, a really good idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna call. Who's the governor? Um, the state? Uh, Brown. Gray Davis. Governor Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown. The, the, His son, right? Not the that he's dead. <laughs> Pat Brown is dead, former governor. But Jerry Brown is still alive. Oh my god, he's, he's governor. Yeah, he's like the oldest he's governor. A zombie governor. But he's like a healthy living guy. He's I gonna know. live forever. Yeah. Uh, that's a good idea. That's a good fix. Yeah, so we're really rolling up our sleeves today. I know. It's but here's the thing that uh, that doesn't also get reported is that it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. It costs so much more to put a guy to death than to keep him alive. No, when you're found guilty, you you go to work. We're not paying well, for you. You right. have to support your, okay. which they do in other countries. They say you're going to jail. That here's the bill. It's fifty eight thousand dollars a year. Put him in have a death row work camp. But okay, so it costs hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars. One of my favorite more. metal bands, Death Row Work Camp. <laughs> uh, they sold out. Yeah. They their their early stuff. early stuff yeah. was good. They, when they were touring with Cannibal Corpse, they were really good. But, but the a death row trial costs hundreds of thousands of dollars more because it, it's much more complicated. They're, they they take longer, um, and it's more expensive to house death row inmates. And then they also have their built-in appeals, so that gets really expensive. We will rebuild the manufacturing class then, in America okay, by making yeah, them make, gotcha. make iPods. So, and I then mean, they're already prisoners making iPods in China. Sure, those are called that, that's those, a democracy. That's called Chinese children, <laughs> Chinese people, <laughs> Chinese, little Chinese children. Um, and the actual cost of the execution is very expensive. So, in North Carolina, this is according to the first thing that popped up on my Google. It costs over two million dollars more to execute a prisoner than to house them for life. For life imprisonment, so it's, no, we, this is a money making operation. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's yeah, and also it's fed by some like sort of old world, old testament like. It doesn't solve anything. No, it doesn't solve anything. But it, somehow it just smiting people just is a well. I'm sure this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like this guy has. Uh, he comes from you know the Hursts or something like that this this murderer yeah. so there could be a civil case where these people could get some money something i mean there's no way so you said you're jewish yeah a little bit um, there's no way to bring this daughter back no. justice would be served as with the oj case they he, he got off but then they sued him and he lost and he 
never paid them, but owes them $30 million. I'm, I'm sure this gentleman who murdered this woman over a truck does not come from money. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing to sue. But um, if you put him to work, you would know that he's miserable. Well, and, I mean uh, – and, and, and earning – and not I costing want, the state any money. I'd rather that, pe- that person be miserable. And I've said this before. This is my problem with the end of, um, of uh, uh, what's it called? The, the Keanu Reeves, Johnny Utah movie. Um, Constantine? Yeah, Constantine. No, when he lets, Edge? when he lets Patrick Swayze go kill himself in like in the the wave of the century, point break. Remember? Matrix? Matrix Revolution. I, I, I finally remember the name. So at point, point break. At point break, like he had him arrested and then he let him out of his handcuffs so that he could go surf the wave of the century and then die. Yes. Isn't like wouldn't It'd be preferable if he went to prison and like suffered in a landlocked cell for the rest of his life for killing a bunch of people. Well, you know nothing about surfing, obviously. <laughs> Clearly, it's it's torture. No, when you're a sur- when you- yes, it's awful, <laughs> and you're gonna die. It's so awful. Well, okay. So my my the sum is if one innocent person goes to death wrongly, it's a botched system, especially if that person is white. Of course. Yeah. And uh, so, and that's my little nugget for that to for you to ponder on. And if you have opinions on that, tweet us at at Nooner Dan Marty. And um, that's how we start a comedy podcast. Hilarious, hilarious. The rest of the world, like uh, they don't mur- they don't kill inmates like we do. That's that's kind of an American thing. Aside from the they af- don't Im- aforementioned Asian, they don't imprison people. Yes. like we do. Well, the highest incarceration rate. I think I had we have some two million incarcerated yes, people, which North Korea just put out some uh, propaganda about how awful America is to their you know mm-hmm. their general population. But we got a, a part of it, and they're like everyone in America is in jail, and they these the rich people make money off of putting people in prison. So there's this horrible system, and they're right. I mean, aside from it's being propaganda, there there's no accountability. It's just throw people in jail. And we make money. We we build the state back for housing these people. But mm-hmm. I think the prison. I had this wonderful idea that all right, someone goes to prison for five years. I'm for sorry, a, what kind of idea? A wonderful idea. This, wonderful. I, I won't do it. I don't. You know, his costume designer died this week. Oh, that's why they were wearing black. That's why I have the armband. Oh, jeez. Liberace's I was, costume I was designer. I to ask. Who died in Studio City of pneumonia and other illnesses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I know what that is. Other, yeah. When, when a costume designer dies of other illnesses, yeah, complications. Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pneumonia and other things. He yeah. he bought a house in Vermont. Uh, I just love how <laughs> delighted that makes you feel. Like, no, I just you're cackling. Just, no one can say you are he had HIV cackling. and he passed away. It's like yeah. he, his Age his ninety nine year old publicist said, "I'll write the press release." <laughs> he died of complications. He had AIDS. Come on. Yeah, where's my typewriter? Yeah. <laughs> Estelle, take a note. Take a memo. Right. right. Um, Darren, Darren writes in, Ruth Ellis and Derek Bentley were both pardoned years after they were hung. Uh, their deaths are why capital punishment is banned. I, I assume that's in the UK because it was banned there, I think, in like 2000. Mm. Or not. Anyhow. It, it seems there. barbaric. Yeah. Yeah. And But for me, much, like if you were following the... The Clive and Bundy thing. We are in Nevada. That standoff thing. Yes, we are barbarian. There are people who embrace barbarism in this country. Yes, uh, and we—that's that's the country we live in. Love it or leave it. Um, 
But the wonderful idea was that someone goes to jail for five years, fine. But if they go back to jail, because that's that's the revolving door um, system we have. You go to jail, you're going to pretty much go back. There's no rehabilitation there. You're just put in a horrible place. So the jail should be – they should have to pay when, you know, oh, he, this dude's has gone back to jail. He's repeated the crime. He's repeated the cycle. This one's on you. You're, you're, you're paying for it. Then there would be some motivation for the prison system to rehabilitate, get someone – hey, take classes, get educated, go back out there. And the point of it is to make someone better, not just to punish them. Right. I mean – yeah, Mur- yeah, yeah, murder is something different. That's oh, no, no, you're, you're no, done. No. You're I mean, not going away. But yeah, that's someone a, that's who is a who is a criminal com- conversation of like what the purpose of the prison thing is. Let's move on. Idea. Let's move on to fun things. Like I'm savoring every last episode of The Mentalist. It's, it's in its last season, <laughs> oh, it's, and like boy, when they got that last guy, uh, it was it was just diabolical. Tob and Runny's out of work. Tom and Ronnie is doing just fine. She'd come in, sit in for uh, for for one for, of us, one yeah, when, for Bill, for Bill. Because I'm sure she's full of rage. I'm too. sure she's from Cleveland too. Um, and then, uh, yeah, have you been watching Orphan Black? Do you watch any TV these days? I I'm still catching up with the first season, so I'm I'm collecting them on my DVR and getting ready to watch them. So I have I'm yeah. I'm behind because it's craziness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what what sort of craziness is going on for you? Just you? work, and then the weekends are it's. Spring in Southern California, and I, I don't want to watch TV all day long. I want to go. <laughs> There's this thing called outdoors, Marty. And there, yeah, I know. No. It's where I came from. I don't, I don't live in your house with you. He's like, I don't, no. just drones bring me food and do- and yeah, uh, yeah. dog kibble, and I'm, <laughs> I'm good. I don't need anything. Everything, everything's through electronic mail. And uh, are you having any luck with the uh, with the work business stuff? Anything good? Well, you're here. <laughs> I'm still uh, this. Pilot, I'm right. Oh, you're taking okay. forever. So here, I had this question, and and we're actually going. This is this show is going to be a very special show because it's going to be very Steve centric. Since um, well, it's every show. Oh, that's in your mind. Uh, so y- you've been commissioned to write a bunch of pilots. You've written specs um, that have been purchased, correct? Yes. Now, um, have there been any that you've really loved but never went anywhere? Every single one. They're all they all suck. No, no, no. no. Have there been like really special ones where you're just like, that is fucking gold? It's funny because I have this other thing percolating, and they said, bring us some new ideas. I had a, a part of this deal is bring three three ideas to develop, and I went through my um, computer, my hard drive of of stuff. I've kept everything, mm. and. Um, I have hit that point now. I, I think older dudes, when I started out, were telling me about this phenomena. I look at a folder and I go, I have no idea what this is. Right. And then I click on it and there's drafts right. and so and so studio notes. And I go, I don't know what this is. And then I click on it and I don't, it's like, don't remember this. Don't, don't know. Don't, I have no idea what I wrote. Now, it, it could be. Um, under the influence of drugs when I did it, or very well, also or, just age related memory issues. Well, it, I think it's just that you hit. I, I remember in college writing the the first script and thinking, "Well, that's that's it for me. I, this is it's either this and then I'm done." And and then hearing people like, "Yeah, I'm on my twentieth script," and thinking, "You yeah, had to yeah. do twenty. That was like months of work." Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm I'm done. And then you you just start doing it, and then you look. And I'm sure musicians go through this where they listen to old stuff and they go, no, I, 
who's that? I've no, I don't know what this. I have no idea. Tom York is like creep. I did that. Never heard it before. Huh. Yeah, it's really awful. Oh, never playing that yeah, again. Sounds like grunge. Uh, so, so I, I don't know. I, and so, when projects go into turnaround, what happens to them? They just they just die. Who owns them? Me. Okay. Well, no. Uh, if someone else wants to buy it, they have to pay the previous company development costs. Uh-huh. So it's a script or an idea, but it has baggage with it. Like, okay. oh, so, so it's ha- I have to pay these previous ding dongs the money that they spent to have you write it. <clears throat> and have there been ones that you have? Can you think of a specific one that that languished that you really in- liked? La- um, no. I mean, I, I, I like them all, and at the same time... I, Ideas are cheap. Yeah, and you just kind of do them. It's funny, because you know, I'm up for this thing, this pilot, and they read this script that I sold that didn't go anywhere uh, about a Wall Street exec who becomes a bank robber. Right. And the, the, the people in the meeting had just read it the night before, so they were like... They said, oh, Jacob, and blah, blah. And I'm thinking, who's, who's Jacob? Jacob? Oh, the main guy. I mean, actually, when I sold it, I got a call, and the, the people that bought it said they, they love it, and they love that you know that there's a gay character in it. And I went, there's a gay character in it? I had just no, no right. memory of right. who's in it and who. But to your credit, you are wildly productive as a writer. I mean, you're, you're very uh, – you're not short on – on coming up with new ideas. But yeah, a, a woman on my first show, she said, by the time it gets on the air, by the time whatever I started writing that then gets rewritten, that then gets notes, that then goes into production, by the time I see it, it's completely, I don't remember a word of it. I can watch it and go, and I've, and I've had that experience where I watch something, and I'm like, oh, I did this. And I go, I, I don't know how this ends. I don't, because at the last minute we changed this act and then it became this and that. Like there's so so much work that goes into a show, right? And and so much changes by the time it becomes television or a movie. It's you. It's completely strange again. So when you come up with an idea and you love it and you love the characters and you love the world, you're excited. And by the time it's been through the mill, right? I forget their names and I forget. <laughs> and people are like, oh, I really like the script. And I think, is it good? I don't even. I, I, at that point, I, I, all I believe now is the, the mythology around it with the you know, agents. Oh, this is your best work yet. And I'm like, uh, okay. Right. I don't, I, I kind of feel like it's half assed. And the things that I, I always know that I'm, um, I'm onto something when I don't really like it. That's usually when people go, wow, this is really good. And when I love it, they go, yeah, you know, right. Yeah, it didn't. I, this thing that I've been trying to get people interested in, it's a, a, a way to tell a sort of traditional um, sitcom story, dad with kids and, and a wife and all that. But he lives his life through movie fantasies. Right. You know, he's the Bruce Willis scene in Die Hard with the glass. It's him with his shoes off and Legos. You know, like he kind of like... Um, like spaced a little. What's spaced? That's the Edgar Wright... Um, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like that. And I love it. I just love... I think it's clever and funny and people go, eh. Yeah, it's okay. So, I, I, <laughs> well, yeah. uh, this takes me to where what I want to talk about is uh, the the Kruger origin story. So, you've made reference to uh, veiled references to a, a somewhat troubled upbringing, and I thought we should we should return to the the 
the dirty streets of Boston and find out wh- where you came from and what that whole story is all about. Oh boy! Yeah, we're gonna so, we're, we're on a downward trajectory this morning. So you have an older sister, right? I have a younger sister. A younger sister, yes. And and but you grew up uh, in the mean streets of Newton, Newton Ma, Newton Ma, and uh, a suburb of Boston. But touches Boston College is in Newton, like it's pretty much Boston. And your parents were divorced. They divorced when I was in second grade. And was that? It was not fun. Not fun. Yes. Um, my mother is a. Uh, she looks like the Mike Myers character on Saturday Night Live, the mm-hmm. Linda Richmond with the big hair and the big glasses and the the, the bejeweled uh, sweatshirts with the right. the black black leggings. About four foot one, little tiny Jewish woman. And my dad is a uh, waspy professorial introvert. He's also ten years older than her. She, he was her professor right, at, right. At, at school. Um, and yeah, they divorced and I live, I, as most people, your parents are together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I live with, you live with your mom. You, you stay with the, that was the, the, the conventional wisdom at the time. You, you live with your, your mommy. And, uh, like I said, second grade till, till about the beginnings of junior high, seventh, seventh grade, eighth grade. That's when, a, a, a child becomes a preteen and becomes an asshole. And I was an asshole, mm-hmm. a super duper asshole. But um, my mom is, um, she was not well in the head. Right. I think it, 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 it's a mean story if you don't know that years later I found out she's manic depressive. She was diagnosed as bipolar later. So she was kind of all over the place. But um, she, oh man. Wow, she's something else. She was uh, and as an a eight, controlling, crazy. Uh, I mean, just said like horrible things. And that, as a smart-ass, angsty teen, yes, and also kind of favored my sister a little bit because I, I was the firstborn, and I was an basically asshole. telling her to fuck off. Right. Um. And I it was the night before the first night of high school, and my grandmother had come to visit, and. Uh, she ran over my bike accidentally, but I thought it was kind of on purpose. My my ten speed, and um, she screamed at me because she was mad at, at, at that I was ruining her underneath of her car. And I was like, "You ran over my bike," and I smacked her across the face. <gasps> and yeah, she did the same thing. She said, I'm calling the police. So I proceeded to get on my broken bike and I rode out. <laughs> yeah, and I slept in a uh, oh, what did I sleep in like a bus st- you know a shelter. Uh-huh. And came home at like six in the morning. My poor grandmother, you know, they, no one had slept all night. And this was the the night before high school. So this was, you know, I was already like, I was a fresh a, new a, backpack, yeah, new tra- kids. I had my trapper keeper, yeah. you know, uh, with a dynamite magazine. I was, I was ready to go. So it was already like off to a, a rough start. And high, high school, I went to like some, you know, well, my sister years later got to go to a private high school. I went to a public high school mm. that produced Louis C.K. and uh, B.J. No- oh, actually, B.J. Novak went to the other one. Uh, uh, Matt LeBlanc went to my high school. Kind of meatheady, uh-huh. working classy people. Um, big school, like three thousand students. I guess that's big for back then. And I just kind of got lost. I got you know, I think a year in, I just. Stop going to school. I just stopped going to class at Newton North. Yes, um, would hang out because there were girls there, but I just 
just one day I just decided I, I this is boring. Um, started skateboarding and you know that all that uh, antisocial behavior. Right. And did you have any sort of uh, academic inklings at all? Yeah, I was like a straight A student, and then I just got a, a incomplete because I missed too many classes, and then I went ah fuck it. I just I had I was completely disconnected from my my mother. My dad uh, was working like three jobs to afford the two houses, and he was dating. And you know the, he didn't. The, I, I get it now, but at the time I was like, both these two are fucking dicks, right? Um, Angsty teen. Yeah, and let me see what happened. I I started living. Oh, I moved out of my mom's house. She had basically just and declared it. Like, I'm going to drive you crazy until you leave. I want you to go live with your, your father. Which, to a 14-and-a-half-year-old, is like, really? Again. Re- rejected by your mother. Uh, yeah. I, this is, uh, uh, imagine me, you know, at, at 14. And also, yeah, yeah. she's unwell and not medicated. So, I didn't know this at the time. But I went, you know, great. I went and lived with my dad, which was just equally <laughs> as awful. He's uh, a, a nightmare. A completely different nightmare. But I, I saw... Um, like I can't live with either of these people, and at about fifteen, I just started living with friends, just couch surfing. Yeah, live with this girl and her very hippie, pot smoking shrink dad, um, and she fucking tried to kill herself while I was living there, and he blamed me, so kicked out, and you know, in the middle of the night, and then right. went live with another dude, and lived there for a while. I remember that's when I got into craft work. Because um, his older brother had a bunch of albums. And then yeah, I was just kind of floating. I was kind of like dudes would, would let me hang out. Right. And then um, I think I finally just withdrew from school and uh, moved back in with my dad, who was getting remarried. And um, I, you know, of course, went out of town with his his fiance and threw a, I threw a fucking rager. <laughs> and... Uh, he had one of those tanning machines. He was a very vain, you know, uh, 80s guy. And some chicks just decided to tan while uh, <laughs> at the party. At the party. Yeah. And my poor st- and my stepmom, who has since passed away, nicest woman in the world, but very conservative. She came home and she found panties in her bed, which, of course, they thought I was having, you know, a three-way. And it was, no, I was just downstairs you know, right, playing right. video games. But this uh, this led him to... Uh, months later when he went on another trip to say, you can't stay in the house. You can't, I, I don't, you know, they, it was so kind of not going to school, not working. Right. Um, he's going out of town and actually he'd moved in into my stepmom's house. He's like, you're not ruining this place. So I don't blame him for kicking me out, but he went to Barbados and he, I remember him giving me like 40 bucks. And he's like, good luck. I was 16 or something like that. Only 40 bucks? Yeah. And, I and remember, where were you supposed to live? That was up to me. Wow. So I remember thinking, all right, well. You weren't much? in school. No. Right. How much? And he lived a town over from Newton. I said, how, how much a day is it going to cost to feed me? I remember Dunkin' Donuts was now doing the uh, the croissant sandwich. And I was like, oh, that's three bucks. I, I can eat three of these. Wait, oh, oh shit. I'm going to run out of money. <laughs> in four days. In four days. Um, but, you know. I went and hung out with friends and then would take the bus back to his house. And the first night I slept in uh, the garage and it was cold. It was like, you know, fall in New England. Was it wicked cold? It was wicked fucking cold. I remember using newspapers as, uh, as, um, as a blanket and thinking this is like, I was basically homeless. Right. You were. Yeah. That's um, like, that's like a New York, New Yorker cartoon, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And uh, the next night, I I think I went to like a dance at school because I liked some girl. And yeah, you know, this is everyone is just going to dances and, and living a normal life. And the dance is over, and I'm like, shit, I missed the bus to get home. And that first girl who tried to kill herself, I climbed into her basement and slept there for a while. But then she went downstairs to smoke pot, and I, I was literally Wait, like, you, a, "You didn't? They didn't know? No, they didn't know I was there." Yeah. But I'm like, "I got to get out of here." And I slept on a park bench, and somebody let me crash at their house. Like, what were you there, doing with the during the day? You know, I don't know, dicking around, looking at records, skateboarding, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think by the fourth night, um, maybe there was a party or something, and I missed the bus. I couldn't get home. And at this point in my life, I hadn't talked to my mom in. A year and a half, which is very odd for a sixteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just the whole kicking me out it just rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, understood. And so I decided at eleven o'clock because I couldn't catch a bus, and I had eleven dollars left for three more days. I couldn't take a cab back right. to the garage that I was sleeping in. <laughs> so I called my mom and I said, "Can I um, can I sleep at your house tonight?" And she said, "Where are you?" And I gave the address. And ten minutes later, uh, like a Crown Vic shows up and a guy with a mustache says, are you Steve? And I said, yeah. He said, get in. And it's a cop. She called the police on me. So I met her at Newton Police Station. Wait, she couldn't pick you up? No, she called the police on me. All right. And these, this is just the story. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You, these you, are just the facts. These are the facts. I just, I, Motivation is whatever. But yeah, the, the facts no, are... This a, is what really happened. I'm not making Crown this up. Crown Vic picked you up. So I'm there with the police and my mom shows up and she wants them... To arrest me and put me in jail for the night. For what? That's what I said. They said, I remember hearing like, ma'am, he has to break the law for us to put him in jail. And I'm looking at the jail and the light never goes off because it's a holding cell and it's not right. No one in Newton goes to jail. It's you hold a drunk there for an hour or someone arrested for DUI. No one spends the night in jail. So and it's now midnight, one in the morning. She's just enraged. And she said, well, I think he's going to kill himself. I think it was because I was going to see a band called Suicidal Tendencies, uh-huh. but it was not. I was not going to kill myself. And th- I remember the cop coming up to me and saying, "All right, look, I'll drive you back. You know, where are you staying?" And I said, "Oh, my friend's house in this, the next town over, which was really my dad's garage." And I said, "We're going to take you to a, to um, the hospital. We're going to have you checked out by a shrink, and then I'll drive. We'll, we'll drive you home. It's out of our jurisdiction, but your, your mom's a little whatever." And I said, "Great." They took me to a big, big old hospital. And they sat me in a room, and you know, hospitals have overnight shrinks, and right. uh, just a, a cylinder of a woman comes in. Oh, they also put me in a, like a, a, a female uh, gynecological room. I'm, I'm sitting in stirrups. in stirrups, just you know, <laughs> tying and untying my my shoes and spinning the wheels on my skateboard. And this woman comes in and interviews me and says, "You know, you're fine." But then I hear her go talk to my mom, and they're screaming and yelling, and um, Basically, the woman com- comes back a little later, and now she's got a uh, another mustached man wearing a sport coat sitting outside the room, and she says, uh, your mom is going to put you in a mental home. She's worried about your safety. She's worried about your safety. She kept saying this over and over again. And I realized that man sitting outside was security because I went bananas. You know, this is like a couple hours ago. I was at a party. Right, right. I needed a ride home, and now they're like, you're going to spend three days in a, in a mental home. And so uh, I was just whipping tampons anything i get my hands on at this dude and they basically tied me to a fucking a gurney and put me in an ambulance now it's 5 30 in the morning and they take me to um god 
what's it called? It was a it was a a, a private mental home uh-huh. in somewhere in Massachusetts. Um, I had not slept all night. And had you been diagnosed with anything? No, but when you are under age, your parent can lock you up for seventy two hours. They right. can say you're a danger to yourself, and you have no rights. I did not. They, they didn't ask me, "Do you want to go?" They said, right, right. "You're being put in, in a mental home." So I went to a mental home, but unfortunately, the adolescent ward was full. I was sixteen and a half. They put me in the adult ward of a <laughs> Massachusetts <laughs> mental home. So I shared a room with crazy fucking people. Um, the the dude I shared the room with, one guy had stitches on both his wrists. He had uh, recently tried to kill himself. Another guy, his frat brothers had locked him in the trunk of a car overnight, and he didn't speak very much. Um, and I remember a woman came in that night, and she they put her in the solo room because she was nuts. Right. And all night long, she went, stop the train! Stop the... And we go, shut the fuck up! We're fucking sleep. Stop the train! And so the next morning, I'm indoctrinated into a mental home. And I, literally, you're in group. With people who are like, I hear, why are you here? I hear voices in my head that tell me to kill myself. Why are you here? Like, I tried to kill my husband. Why are you here? I, I was at a party. <laughs> I, I was drunk. I missed the bus. What? So I, I can't be released. I, you know, I, I have to spend 72 hours in an adult ward of a mental home. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a long three days. And when you're in a mental home, you can't leave the ward you're on at first you're right. you're in lockdown actually the night you're there they check on you every hour a guy would shine a flashlight in my face to make sure i had not bitten my wrists off and i was like fuck off i'm sleeping and you can't go outside for the first couple of days you earn the right to then go downstairs and eat in the cafeteria you earn the right to go outside with a doctor then you earn the right to go outside with another patient right. it's very regimented follow the rules and and, and as a 16 year old party yeah. guy yeah with adults with people right. who like I hear voices that tell me to kill everyone in this room so I wait my three days I'm obviously fine I'm not a threat to myself right. I'm not going to hurt anybody legally you're you're stuck there well they say you're fine you can go and right. I call my mom and I say uh, can you pick me up there they say I'm fine. She says, no, I'm not picking you up. <laughs> like, really? Really? No, you could stay there. Uh, so <laughs> I called this one of the friends of mine who I had stayed at. I said, could your mom pick me up? And she was and then changed her mind. And Because yeah, like, a parent doesn't want to get involved I, yeah, with another kid. You know what? Now, looking back, I think she made the right decision. Yeah, totally. So I'm there uh, until my dad comes back from Barbados or whatever. He's the only one who can get me out. So I settle in and... Um, Got into fights with people uh, you <laughs> over know. pills. Like oh. no, some guy made fun of me, so I peed in his drink, and then I don't know. Just I was like, just I just <laughs> I, I, you need four more hours, just a week in a mental home yeah. when you're 16, and not the adolescent ward with you know girls who and listen to the Smiths you, too much. Were you terrified? No, I was. Uh, I, uh, I I guess I was just soaking it in. Like, well, I'm stuck here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start talking to people. I'm going to start like, so what happened to you? And then the stories just went. It's kind of a funny story. Real real funny. I was in Vietnam and I never came back. And um, yeah, you literally, in, you meet with the whole ward and some woman raised her hand and said, yes, I need someone to check on me every five minutes. Why? Because I was in the bathroom hitting my head against the wall. I'm hurting myself again. So I need I need a checkup. Like these are the, these are the level of, of, mental issues that people are, are dealing with and I'm 
just my you, mom and you, dad. You didn't fall in love with uh, Emma Roberts? Um, no. Or Zach Galifianakis wasn't there to, to shepherd you? No. It's, there's the, Did you see that movie? It's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I did befriend the guy who had, had cut his wrist because he was... Um, he was sort of a you know hip hoppy guy, and he was you know in, at least into music, and I could talk about music with him. Right. So days go by. My dad comes back from Barbados. That was a fun call. Hey, where are you? I'm at a mental home. <laughs> I need you to come down and pick me up. So what was his reaction? Uh, nothing after at that point. You know, Just click. Okay, I'm gonna talk to your mother. So they both came in, and I met with them and uh, whatever shrink. And they said, well, we talked to your parents, and there's an opening in the adolescent ward, and you know, you're not going to school, and you're not this. Maybe you should spend some time. They, they think you should stay here. So I got, I got hosed. Ah. Um, stormed out of there, and then all of my, you know, I had earned the right to go outside with a doctor. All of that got shut, shut down. I was back in lockdown. But it was that point that I decided I need to escape. I need to get the fuck out of here. Right. Like, I, so I, get, you, it, I just can't. So you, like, you were like counting Monte Cristo, like developing a plan? Yes. And looking back now, I would love about three months to just sit and not work <laughs> and have someone just like, well, so what's bothering you today? Marty was a little rough on the podcast. Like, I, <laughs> if you can do it and afford it, it was like $1,000 a day. Right. Like this was mental homes are expensive. If you can, but if you can do it, it's wonderful. It's better than a vacation. <laughs> it's just you get every it all need, out. Every every need is met. Yeah, and, like and then it, and every the, everything's soft and quiet. Delightful and I, pills. I need, I need you to use your inside voice right. when guys going crazy. It's very relaxing. But at sixteen or seven or sixteen and a half, your freedom is the most valuable thing. Sure, in the world that's you. when you're. That's when you finally get to express yourself as a young adult. So I hatched a plan to escape. Um, and I befriended the hip hop guy who became my partner in it. Uh, right. He did it in exchange for some fila uh, uh, suspenders. Swag. I had that fila I, suspenders. Like, that's it. And it wasn't. Like, that was it. He said, "I'll, I'll help the you." Sweatband. Nope. Just a suspenders. so I lied to the doctors and I said, "Yes, I'm." You know, they said, "We stormed out of that meeting with your parents." You know, and we took all your rights away. I said, "I'm committed to getting better." And this, and I lied and I'm lied. Committed to getting committed. Yes, and. I uh, earned the right to go outside with another patient. You sign a little book, and they check on you every fifteen minutes. Oh. And he told me how to, you know, where to go. I put on all my clothes. I was wearing five <laughs> shirts and four jackets, <laughs> and we went outside to play basketball. And I just took off. Just bolted. I bolted, and I remember hailing you, a cab. Did you have any money at all? Yeah, I remember asking for my money, which they thought was a little weird, and I, but I was just like, pretended to be a crazy person. Like, I just want to count it. I just want to count it. Give me my money. So they gave me... Wait, what, and how long had you been there? I think like two weeks or something like Total. that. That's, that's yeah. two weeks too long, of course. Eh, eh, you know, now, now I relish the, the, the time. So I, but I remember, you know, you, you go through the woods and then you'll end up in a golf course and, and then you'll end up in a, a city square. And I followed this guy's instructions and ran with four pairs of pants on and <laughs> five Puma jackets. <laughs> just, <laughs> and I remember hailing a cab to go back to my, to Newton. And, you know, it's not a lot of 16 year olds get in a cab. That's a sure. pretty, you know, Especially now they do. With but, five layers of clothes yeah. in the middle of July. And I'm, but I'm thinking, I'm an escape mental patient. 
Like, this guy has no idea. Yeah. I, you know, he's just shooting the shit with me, and I'm like... <laughs> and, I'm, of course, we're getting your side of the story. <laughs> like, <laughs> meanwhile, your records are like, paranoid, schizophrenic, yeah, yeah. Uh, delusion. But I, I think I, I, the, the first person I, con- I came in contact with after escaping from a mental home was his poor cab driver. Um, it could it could have gone a lot worse, but I he, and you just said me and my friends want to go to Newton. Uh, yeah, so he dropped your friends. Yeah. They're sitting next to me. They're in my mind. Yeah. So he dropped me off, and I went and hid in that friend of mine's attic, like Anne Frank, the the guy whose mom didn't want to pick oh, right, me pick up. It, right. Um. And did he know that you were there? Yeah. Then they knew I escaped, and they, and then the mom knew too. Yes, and they yeah. were. Very sweet to sort of take me in. Right. Um, but when you escape from a mental home, an APB goes out. They, they yeah. the, the cops are, are looking for you. And I remember... Be on the lookout for five Puma jackets. I walked down to school teenager. to talk to a girl I liked. And like in the movies, three cop cars just surrounded me. Like, I didn't know. I, I didn't see them come out. They just came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, I, can't, I am pinned in. And they get out of the car. And they're like, what's your name? And I'm like, Jeff. I was the, it was the best acting I ever did. Jeff Miller it was another kid I knew. I just picked his name. Nice. Like, well, you fit the description, you know. And I didn't have an ID. I didn't have a driver's license, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and so was, they let you go. They let me go. But that's when I went. I'm going back to. I'm Anne Franking it. I'm going back to the attic. I'm. Uh, and at that time, my parents had filed, or my mom had filed something called a Chin's petition, Child in Need of Services. She tried oh, to I get. Thought this, it was a Chinese thing. No, she tried to get the state involved in making me go to school and all this stuff. It's it's a complicated legal whatever, but there was a pending court date, and I showed up at it, which was the weirdest. You know, it's like a fugitive. Well, how did you run. know about it? I, 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 this had this had been in the works before. Okay, but I decided at some point I can't um, hide in this attic like Anne Frank. Although it was fun, it was like after being in a mental home, just hanging out and just watching TV all day long. And Jesus. So I. They were there at the. By at the, the way, everyone, this is this this is the formula for success this in is Hollywood. How you get it so, done. so take notes. So I showed up, and there's my my dad and my mom, and they I remember, didn't know I remember, they, they didn't know they hadn't seen me in in weeks. So uh, I remember my mom going, "No, just turn around. Let me see that you're okay." She thought I was living on the you know the train tracks. I was living in a giant mansion in Newton with a guy, who's a big engineering exec, and right. son, but whatever. Um, and the court appointed me a lawyer. And I went in front of a judge, and I emancipated myself. At 16, 17? Yeah, 16. And guardianship was then given over to this dude's family. Wow. They, they became my guardian. So I went and lived with him. And, of course, you know, you have to go to school. Right. You get a social worker. Um, and I lived with them for a year, and then they kicked me out. That's, that's when I— it Wait, all why went. did they kick you out? I just started doing drugs, and being, I'm a pain in the ass, and, you know— the, their son, who was going to go to Harvard and everything, he, of course, ended up going to UMass and dropping out and becoming a cokehead. Um, <laughs> Thanks to you. No, I, no, he didn't do drugs at all. He was one of those, like, I, I won't even drink. And I was like, no, just get drunk. Um, they wanted to focus on him, and they, they'd put up with me for a year. So I got my own apartment. Were you belligerent at all to, to them? No, they were. Just... we were very sweet, but I think they just slowly went. I think I turned 18, and oh. I... I, I had dropped out of high school for a year and a half, so I was going to do some time in high school. Right. I was going to go on. So uh, yeah, a year fostering uh, a troubled 17-year-old. Who's a wise-ass. Who's a wise-ass, and their son is starting to drift into maybe not good behavior. They, 
I, I don't, I did not blame them. I was a little shocked at first, but then the social worker said, we're going to, the state is going to pay you X amount a month right. to, to get your own apartment. And then the partying began and let's go to Steve's house. It wasn't a house. Oh, it was right, a room apartment. in a house, but, um, a, yeah, that was, um, that, that year and a half is a blur. Right. Cause basically they were paying for me to go to school. Right. As long as you go to school and have a part-time job, I was getting a check every month. And so I stretched school out. Your tax as dollars l- at work. L- yeah, there you go, Massachusetts. Uh, I stretched school out until I was 19 and a half because I was living the dream. I was right. selling pot out of my, <laughs> my room. Oh, you were? Oh, okay. yeah, and acid and, and um, going to school, taking classes. I'd already taken three years before when I was 16. Um, I, w- I really became... Um, all right, all right, all right. I became that guy. Oh, that like, guy yeah, people yeah, were yeah, like, right. you're 19? Like, uh, there are fucking children here. All right, all right. And, and you have yeah. your own apartment? Swing by in third period. I'll get you high. Yeah, they, they stay the same I got age. the space shuttle bong. We'll, we'll, we'll get it going. Um, so that went on and on and on and on. And um, I, I even think like the last half of a year of high school, I was just going to gym. I would just get up one day a week and go to gym. And but then, you must have had some sort of intellectual curiosity during this time. Yes. I actually, I read, that's when I did all my reading because right, I had okay. all this free time and everyone's in school. So I'm like, I'm going to read uh, Marquis de Sade and just, you know, I, that's why I read Tropic of Cancer. <laughs> just all the, the adult, like dirty literature. Well, no, but just I, I you know, y- there's only so much you can do during the day when your friends go to school. Right. So that time I remember reading and listening to just so much music, just like, and you were playing music too, right? Yeah, and it was a lot of skating and a lot of pot and a lot of um, just awesome, t- awesome Did times. Did you have any ambition at all at this point? No. Right. Okay. Um, go on. And then I had uh, I was going to go to college, and I so you did have that ambition to go to college. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, yes, I wasn't like I'm going to be a garbage man. I just. Um, I, I needed to speak to my mother about the money that had been saved up since my, my birth date. You know, right. every every time I got uh, cards with money from grandparents, it all went to her and went right. to an account. And I met her at a, uh, a cafe and I said, I would not seen her since that trial date. Right. Like, right. We, we did not speak. And I said, and so by the way, there is a happy ending. Like, oh, you, yeah, you yeah. spoke to your mother today. I murdered her. A couple no, years ago. no, you spoke to her today. Oh, she died of cancer. And no, no she's, she's, she's still alive. And you, you guys are very friendly. You spoiled the, the happy ending. All right. But she, I said, I don't uh, want to, uh, this is, you know, I'd like my money. You know, I'm going to college. She said, I spent it on your sister. It was in both our names. And she took that and sent my sister to private school. Which has just destroyed my sister at the t- like it, she's so <laughs> guilt ridden. I and like now I'm like wh- right whatever right. Um, so I screamed at my mom and she screamed at me, and um, so I had no money for college and I just really wanted to skateboard. Did you see that video this week of the guy kicking the little six year old who's standing at the top of a ramp? Um, he's afraid to drop in and the dad just yes. kicks him. Yeah. That's Kona Skate Park. That's where I moved. Oh, that's in Florida. In Jacksonville, Florida. I wanted to just skateboard. That's a pretty steep uh, you know, entry there. Well, he's, yeah, that's not great parenting, but yeah. it is Florida. <laughs> so I moved there and... and um, who was skating there that, that drew you there? Like, why, why did you pick that place? Because um, it wasn't fucking... It wasn't... Yeah, it, it was... Uh, 
it was a park. It was a concrete park on top of ramps. Right, right. But but there wasn't like a skater there that no. you know. It's just no. a, a culture. No, it was just. Oh, it, it was just there. A park. Yeah. yeah, it was a park. And now, how did you have any money? Um, I didn't. I had to take student loans and um, went to college there. And slowly started talking to my mom. And then I I transferred to, to Boston University. And I lived with her for a while. Which, oh boy. Right. That but, was a that was a rough transition back to living with my mom and my sister. But, but then you were an adult at that point. Yes. And, so, and, I, mean, and I mean, but you, she did you throw, to, throw me out one day when I said you're neurotic, and she'd get out of my house and then throw me out. It was still rocky. And then um, I lived with my girlfriend after college, and then we broke up, so I had to move back with her. So I'm a film school graduate. So you without you, a job. How did you pick moving, film? Like oh, I, you know I. I don't know. I liked movies. I right. took a film class and went, oh, yeah, I could do this. I actually did it in high school. I took filmmaking classes right. and then was talked out of it and then went, oh, I'll, this is I, – I, who cares about that? that? Everyone wants to be a filmmaker. Which, not me anymore. But um, <laughs> So I moved back in with her after college, and it was, it was very rough. But she bought me my first car and got me – Go to go to California, and, and she helped me out. But but did, it's still, did you graduate th- at that point? Yeah, I okay. graduated well. At, at three year, I took it took me three years to get through college because I went to summer school because I wanted to get out of college. Right, five, five and a half for high school. So your mom, out of uh, maternal guilt, got you a car. Yeah, and we were still kind of you know we didn't talk that much, and it, it didn't. Uh, it just it it never really got to where it needed to get until. Five, six years, six, seven years ago. Right. And she had, uh, in the 20s, I found out she was manic depressive. And I'm like, okay, that excuses a lot of this behavior. I get it. She got on lithium, Hmm. got on whatever, but still was, um, what's the word? A cunt. She's still kind of a cunt. (laughs) Uh, That's that's the medical term. That's in the DSM-5. Yeah, DSM-5. Raging cunt. Real pushy, real opinionated um i have a great story that uh, lance mountain took her to the museum of tolerance and was <laughs> made a woman that worked there cry like she's the most intol- intolerant jew ever but she went off her meds uh six seven eight years ago i don't know uh, this is in the middle of my stepmom dying of cancer and me working on a, a, a my, my biggest show to, to to date and very busy and um she tried to kill herself um and you know did it the stupid way did it with like too many Tylenol right and uh it doesn't work I was like just call me I'll tell you I'll tell you a helium bag over your head night night you're out just tell the guy that you have a huge uh, kid's birthday party and you'll you'll fill your own balloons and so she she had just gone off the rails and had not returned phone calls she owns a bunch of property now in Florida and had not done anything I mean it, it hadn't filed tax returns like her life was a fucking mess and my sister was down there dealing with it and I got a call like you gotta get the fuck down here so I fly to lovely central Florida and it's a mess and I get power of attorney over my mom. I sit in the lawyer's office and right. I sign. I still have the document. I'm like, wow, I had power of attorney. And I put her in a mental home, which was the greatest, like, full circle. <laughs> like, we're, we're going to leave you here. Were you cackling as well? No. You know what? I'm an ad- I was an adult and I went, because this is, this is the right thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And just, just so we're clear that this was not punitive. No. It, she need- when you try to kill yourself. Yes. You yeah. might you might need a little mental home, but there is some delicious uh, 
irony there. This, the, this circle is complete. Yeah, yeah. She also put my sister in a mental home, too, when she, they found out she was a lesbian and a whole other. There's a whole wow. subplot to the whole thing. But she, the happy ending is she got her shit together, uh, back on the meds. Her, her retirement is secure. Yes. Um, doing well and she comes out and visits every yes, so often. just just gave me lots of money yes when, uh, when a family member died and yeah it's it's one of those but when i dropped her off at the mental home i had the talk of all talks the like it was five hours of just like you fucking ruined my life. You did this and you ran over my I I I recounted this entire story to her. <laughs> right, but she was expect she was like I'm checking into this mental home. I need you to bring me some apples and I, I don't get the green ones, get the red ones and I was just bubbling with rage and I screamed at her for 4 hours wow. until I was exhausted and that was Because by the way, Steve is not an angry person. For, I'm a dick, but I'm not angry. Right. And no, so, I, I got it all out, and she and cried, and, and I... It must have been incredibly... What, did you it was like taking a dump when, you haven't, when you're constipated for weeks. It was so right. cathartic and awesome, and ever since then, it's been fine. Like, it's and, just... And you haven't had to, to revisit anything? No, no, no. She's fine, but it, that, it was... I was 31, something like that. Like, wow, why didn't I do this when I was younger? This is Well, awful. but you can, you can only do it when you're ready to do it. Yes, well, the moment had presented itself to me, and it right. was uh, started. It started in the parking lot, and then went up to her room. She was, a and she was taking notes. I was just screaming, "You did this!" And then you did this! And then you fucked me up! And I'm so fucked up because of you! And you owe me money! And I, and, I, and, I, and just went fucking bananas. And then I went, and they're like, "Which one of you is, yeah. is checking in here?" Yeah. It was so awesome. It was so fun. But yeah, ever since then, it's you know we're uh, we're we're tight. So. That's how Kruger got to be the way he is. Uh, but everything – you can over – like this woman, I – at points in my life, I'm like, I will never talk to her again. And anything can be uh, achieved with some protocol, with some way to you know talk it out or there, – there, there, there is an answer to family issues and emotional you know baggage. Right. Um, and I'm glad. And that's why I told Lance Mountain, who doesn't talk to her dad, I'm like, just scream at him. It'll, I mean, if he yeah, wants well, to be in your life, great. But Yeah, what do you have not, to lose? And- oh, it feels so good. <laughs> it's like coming and shitting at the same time. It's just fucking <laughs> it's a little weird to say about your mom. But um, <laughs> it was just, it was so good. It was, I, you know, she had, in her mind, was like, I put you in a mental home because I was protecting you. And I said, no, you were being this and that. And right, right. Whether, whether who was right or who was wrong, but I got... But you got it out, and yeah. she was in a... It was probably and the now best... now she sends me checks. <laughs> now she sends you checks out of love, not guilt. Yes, not, oh, what's the difference? Uh, uh, you know what? I don't... Uh, when I saw that giant check, I went, eh, it's okay. Like, I don't... Well, you're buying lunch. No, lunch is on the go-go luck... The go-go... The uh, go-go... Indiegogo people. But yeah, that's uh, that's how I became... You. Me. And like, so when you came out to LA, you said, I'm going to go out and be a director, a filmmaker. Um, so you're packing up your, putting your, your Mac. Uh, yeah, I think your... I liked, yeah, I, everyone, you come out uh, with a script and uh-huh. I mean, indie film was, you know, all the rage. And I, I lucked into a job with Gary Oldman and he. That, so you had no contacts coming? Not in? a single one. And. What was your indie script that you came here with? That's what I... Uh, It was about guys that steal bikes. And it was, as described by um, the producer, it's like Kevin Smith, but then it has like a noirish twist at the end. And I was like, 
that's not what I, again, back to like when I read my stuff, like I don't, I don't, I don't get that at all. It was trying to, it was like trying to capture that, that slacker film mm-hmm. genre and then mixing it with film noir. Like it's right. two like, guys who are bike thief, low lifes, fall in love with a chick and she's playing them against each other. And then over, over stolen bikes. Yeah, there's a, there's a bike stealing montage. It was pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was like trying to be Blood Simple meets Clerks, but um, right, right. And you know, it it didn't happen. And then, oh yeah, uh, we'll get back to you on that. Um, but in the meanwhile, no, whatever. whatever. Uh, will you take Gary Oldman to the? Will you get? He needs to go to the dentist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was directing, and then I I gravitated to just writing and producing and and like. Right. I was telling my dad because he's like, "Oh, Steven Spielberg's still directing." That's a dead on my dad. And I said, "Yeah, uh, if you've ever been on a set, directing's not that fun." I mean, the the one percenters, yeah, the, yeah. the Spielbergs who get to show up and like, so where's the the eighty foot dinosaur that I asked for? It's right over there. You know, the the rest of directing is um, plumbing. You know, it's very. Well, uh, it's interesting getting. I mean, it, it, from my perspective. Well, yes, because most directors uh, who are working are working on an independent scale. They don't make a lot of money. They spend three years raising the money to sell their script, and then they spend another two. Well, you're years. talking about filmmakers. filmmakers. I'm talking about like if you go to a DGA Directors Guild of America oh, event, right. guys. Directors are you know when you watch a game show, there's a guy going camera one, camera two, camera. That's a director. A DGA director. Yes. Or when up. you watch a commercial, a guy goes, do it again, Marty, but don't suck so much this time. I've had that literally said to me by yeah. and a then director. Back to Video Village with 30 execs going, he's not holding the Cheerios correctly. He's, right. not, he's not favoring the Cheerios. To the can-, can we get someone else? Is Bobby Lee available? Oh, fuck oh. you. <laughs> so, so low. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I didn't, um, uh, I didn't take to the millions of questions being asked and oh it's not as creative as i thought it would be it's a, right. a lot of uh busy work which is why like unless you're an indie filmmaker and and but now it feels like that most writers most of the creative people are tv writers is that just because of those are the people i know or no it's a writer's medium writers producer writers on uh, on television have control and directors are just you know there for the the paycheck. Right. And right. Uh, I did this thing a couple years ago and um, wrote the pilot and co-directed it with uh, another dude and didn't like it and then brought in these directors. And it was so much fun for me because the director just deals with uh, the fucking first AD and making the day. And we got to shoot this and we got to come around. And, and after lunch, you but, owe me this. But this, for TV, th- th- that, that's th- th- how th- th- it works. Yeah. It's, right. it's the, a 12 hour day and you got to get X amount done. It, it's, it's, it's like a puzzle more than it is like you're creating something. But the director goes off and would talk with, you know, the you, DP and the, every, it set up the shot and this right, and right. that. And I would go talk to the actors and we would just spend an hour just like, so what's this scene about? And then, you know, and I would tell, I, I learned, I sat in, um, table reads of Deadwood when I was working over at this place and would watch David Milch set up the table read and talk about the history that goes but, into it. But he is a... He's, yeah, he's a, a genius. He's but a genius. He's an I, anomaly. You learn from the genius. I, I wouldn't talk for 45 minutes, but I, I wouldn't just go, okay, you're going to stand here and you're going to say this line and mean it. 
and then you're going to say this line and you mean it back. Okay. You guys good? Okay. Like I, well, because when you're directing, then you got to go, I I have to go talk to the sound guy who has an issue and then art department and then the ADs and then the DP and the grips are fucked up because they thought we were going to shoot here. I have a million things to deal with. Right. It's fun to just hang out and talk about the scene and talk with the actors. Right. And they were like, oh, great. Because... Most of the times they just sort of show stand up. Stand here, and say the like, words. Got, stand here, say the words. You're gonna you're gonna stand on this mark, and right. this, here's your eyeline. You right. good? Yeah. Did you do work at home in your uh, apartment in the space capsule in your in your uh, in your trailer Eagle Rock, Eagle Rock house? Yeah. Okay. Good. So I being a you know uh, not having the pressure of directing, actually you get more creative. Right. Right. And I get to sit behind the director and go. Tell him to stop doing that, and then he'll he has to go over and go. Hey, let's do that again, and let's 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 maybe not do that so much. Okay, I'm like, tell him again. You know, it's it's fun. It's I don't have to go over and clasp my hands together and go. Okay, when your character was born, he like I just it, it's fun to be the boss and not have to yelling action and staring at a monitor, which was for some reason drives all these people to come to L.A. Well, you're, I mean, you're to, the to director. Clear, you're the, like on a feature that's yes, on a feature the writer is at home. Right, the writer is done. He, his work is done. But on a, on TV, the director's job is a very mechanical job. I mean, you're you're trying to fulfill an aesthetic that has already been established in the pilot in the first six right. seasons of that show. But I like it. I liken it to the Coen Brothers, where they co-direct, but one deals. I mean, they both sort of do everything. Right. But, right. but when you're on a set um, on a TV show. The director is dealing with such so much of the technical stuff, and it frees you up. So, what would you say was your f- first big break in Hollywood? Did getting this podcast? That's all. I, that's <laughs> what we were leading up to. So, here's you. I sold, I sold a script, a feature, um, to whom? Uh, a pop singer's film production company. You can't say. I'm so mad at them. I don't want to even. Okay. Um, and what was that script about? Uh. <laughs> Was, oh, I just uh, it was like a dumb comedy. It was guys pretending to be old people hanging out in a uh, old folks' home um, to because it was because they owed somebody money and uh, get the grandpa's. I don't know. Some like it old. Some like it old. Yeah. Basically, a writer, a successful writer, said your first script just take something that that works and lay your characters over it. And she had taken when Harry met Sally and wrote put her characters in it and sold it. And I went. All right, I like some like it hot, and I just said old people. <laughs> I mean, it's a little, you know, it's no, no, of course, of th- course that movie, that movie's as, been made a hundred times, right. and as a as a starting ground, as a seed, sure, why not? And it will become something uh, unique. Well, that was my my first deviation from indie film, where I would be like, no, let's just let's make it like a David Lynch this, or let's make it like a Kevin Smith that. I just went, I'm gonna write some crap. Some crap. And did you get good money for it? No. I mean, you know, whatever. But you got more than yeah. you did, did as an assistant. But yeah. it wasn't like a huge spec sale or something like that. No. And it, they still even owe me money. I, did, I rewrote it and they never paid me. And just the typical. Um, yeah. <laughs> basically, and I, and they basically, the, the entire my, world owes you money. Yeah. But, eh, welcome to being Jewish. <laughs> and then I just sat in my apartment for a year and a half. Welcome and to being I, Kruger. I went, uh, well, this sucks. You know, like I'm, I'm a big spec sale guy, and then you're, where's where's the dump truck of money, and where's the offers? And right. Just so I um, became a writer's assistant on um, a half hour, 
and then got to, got my name as a story by on on one of them, mm. and then uh, off to the races. Yeah. So all right, I just said eh. writing comedy in um, the feature world so easy. I mean. Five laughs, the whole script. That's it. Everything else is just move the story along and right. quips back and forth. But there have to be like five huge laughs. And writing comedy Somebody for television should. has to be a laugh every two laughs a page, something like that. Ten every yeah. other line. And it was it, it was it was harder, and um, thus written by more dudes. And I've slowly drifted to like dramedy or whatever, whatever wherever we are now. Well, that that that's where I think. Uh, Everybody's like, what do you call Breaking Bad? You know, yeah. or, or or iZombie, which is like, there's some really funny material in it, but right. it's not a half hour. It's it's not, you know, two girls running a uh, bed and breakfast and making cupcakes and learning and loving. By the know. way, uh, Diane Ruggiero, who's the co-creator of that show, she's dropping off a dog this afternoon. Oh, wonderful! A foster dog. More dogs. More dogs. Anyway, yeah. So we'll see how long that dog lasts here. With my giant monster dog. Jesus. Uh, so okay, that that is the recipe for Hollywood eh, success. Uh it's uh, tenacity. Tenacity. That's I, I was like, I'm gonna move out there for five years and see what happens. Hmm. I've never done anything else. I've never had another job. Right. I got out of college and I didn't I worked on movie sets in in Boston, which meant I worked once every six months, and then I drove out here. And nice. So after the five years went by, I just never stopped. I just added another five years to it. Not unlike the Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Yeah, the, yeah, you're the, really challenging the five yourself year there. Old, five, older, five years older version of me saying, just get out, go to law school, stop doing this. By the way, uh, you're listening to this Modcast, uh, Internet Radio Network, Smodco Internet Radio Network, this is a Tuesday morning show, and somewhere in that story was the top of the hour. Who cares? Who cares? And uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, but I. It's at noon or Dan Marty. If you have any questions for Steve um, about <laughs> what 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 is left, what is, yeah, I, I think I'm this spent. is my swan song. Yep, that's as good as it gets, people. It but was, uh, we live in a time now where you, it it's just. Uh, Create, create, create. Like the more you create, you'll you'll hit it, you know. And you don't need the things that I needed when I started. Like shit, I got to raise like a million dollars because right. we need guys in shorts to hang lights, and I need a camera, and I need this. You can you like, could be creative without um, without spending any money. I worked for George Gallo, who uh, wrote Midnight Run, yeah, and he was driving a Pepsi truck in White Plains, New York, and uh, he wrote. 12 screenplays before he sold one. And um, that's before he wrote. And so not only was he creating and creating uh, more opportunities for himself to sell something, but he was also get, just getting better at it. And Yeah, it's just, uh, you always hear the story of like, eh, it's his first script and he sold it. That's bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. you, you everyone, the first one sucks and the second one's a little better. And, you know, it... <laughs> It's just doing it. It's just showing up and back to my hard drive filled with like, what the fuck did MILF? I wrote a script called MILF. I don't even, I don't even remember this. And I had notes from Vince Vaughn's company. And I'm like, I don't, I, I have no idea what the fuck this is. But I just kept shitting them out. And he is kind of a MILF, isn't he? 
It was, I don't know, I know his producing partner or something. I, 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 I honestly don't remember writing it or Peter, what it's about. Peter, Peter Billingsley. Billingsley. Yeah. But, um, aren't you impressed that I knew that? Everyone knows Peter Billingsley. Right. That's the guy from Chris, A Christmas Story. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like, it's when I read Gladwell's book, <laughs> whatever book it was about the 10,000 hours, and you just have to keep doing it. And you want to be good at, at guitar, you play it every day. You play at, yeah. You go to Hamburg. and Which I remember someone telling me as a very young kid, I still remember the woman and where I was, and she said, you know, if you want to get good at something, if you want to get good at something, you have to do it every day. Think about those Red Sox, and they play baseball every day. And I'm like, no, they're just juice and, you know, go to clubs. But but my in my mind, like, I, I still, no, I'm just, I'm going to stumble into it, or I'm going to... Just get lucky and write one script, and, and I'll be a one-hit wonder. And it has been um, a slow slog through the muck of but, getting stuff done. But, but, but you're always working. I mean, something, so, or writing yes. something. So that, that's, there's your recipe, true recipe for success. Yes. Well, thank you, Steve, for you're that. Because uh, you have made reference to your running with scissors upbringing, and now we can... Well, that's what got me into writing, was I, in high school, I sat down and wrote a short story about going to a mental home and escaping. And Fake. Yeah. Well, Fake. most people are, at 16 are writing short stories about, you know, nothing because nothing has happened. To right, them, right. You know, about so, third period. So I won, I won some award and uh, it got me some money to go to college, some grant or something. But that, that started me into the like, oh, this is such a great story. Right, you know, because it, 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 something actually happened to me. So, and that ha- doesn't happen to many people. Yes. Well, like, you should write what you know, and I, I, I did. And my mom is was paranoid. Like, you're going to go to Hollywood and write about what happened to us. And I said, No, I've I've already done that, and I've I've processed it. But did she read that story? Uh, I don't think so. I think that's a little. Yeah, it's a little it's a little rough uh, on her. She's listening to the podcast. Yeah, right this now. is her. She's first been tweeting like yeah. nonstop during this. Like, oh boy, listen to me. Here's my side. Skip this one. Go go to next week. Yeah, um, yeah. Because you you told her about the podcast. Right? Yes, but, on the, but on the you way did here. not know that you were going to. Oh, can I listen to it? I said I I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I, eh, maybe Martha Stewart has one. Yeah, yeah, but she's she's still crazy, but medicated and and better. And you guys are better. That's, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to dip into the mail sack. Mail sack, mail sack. Come on, get my hands in that mail sack. Yeah, that was great. All right. The first, uh, there's a, just a, a, it's pretty barren in this sack of ours. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, that, that's not my, my. Uh, it's, it's like your sperm sack. No, no, no. My. You're, you're fertile? I'm a gorilla. All right. Uh, this first one is from Jonathan Abbott, who is at the Biscuit. That's Biscuit with a Q, B-I-S-Q-I-T, who is a Merp super fan. Good morning, Smurp. Good morning, Merps. I can read. Since last week's question on favorite documentaries seemed to heavily favor music, I figured the logical follow-up would be to ask your favorite concert films. Mine are Stop Making Sense. Uh, which is the Talking Heads. Awesome, I fucking shot that, the Beastie Boys, where they gave a bunch of fans um, camcorders to film them. Um, and anything Queen um, with Freddie Mercury, that guy was a true showman. Keep up the smallsome. What what other Queen is there? What besides, yeah. yeah. No, there's no Queen. Uh, wait, who's singing with... The guy from Bad Company. No, 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 no. It's... Um, yeah. No, no. Uh, but they're, no, they're doing a tour with... Uh, Robbie, Robbie Williams? 
No, no, no. <laughs> Let me. <laughs> no, the guy Darren, from, someone look it up. American Idol guy. Oh, I don't watch that show. Well, I watch The Voice. <laughs> no, I don't watch that shit either. Uh, yeah, they're, I think they have that guy doing the um, Adam Lambert. Yes. Yeah. But I think they did tour with the guy from oh, Bad, sure. Bad Co. Yeah. Um, so the, there's your question. Uh, Stop Making Sense is a really good film. I like that. I haven't seen the Beastie Boys one. Mm. I, I like, I have mentioned. Just it like a straight time. concert film. Yeah. 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 Um, it used to be the last waltz for a while, but now I watch it and it's so boring. I don't that's, know why. That's on the band? Yeah, right? the band. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also because the band is really boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I hate to keep going back to them, but I remember seeing it years ago is, uh, the, my morning jacket, Okanokos, and it's a movie. Oh, you keep going back to that. Well, I, uh, well, I, I mentioned them earlier yeah. and I remember seeing it and thinking this is the best way to shoot a concert. How did they shoot it? Um, with cameras. With cameras pointed at the talent. Now, um, <laughs> it started with the weird, typical stoner, like they're at a Elizabethan party and there's a llama there. That part you could just skip, but when they get to the concert, right. they don't tell you where they are. It's uh, somewhere in San Francisco. I forget the, the ballroom, but it's, it's, it's um, decorated with Spanish moss and trees. It looks like they're outside. So the, the set design is awesome. Never a word to the audience. Never like, how you guys doing out there? It's just the songs. And if you watch it, every shot is recomposing itself. Like, it'll cut to the guy playing the guitar and then pan up to his face. It'll start on the singer and then widen out to get the bass player. Like, it's it's never just a still sh- Like, every shot is find the drummer and then move out to include the keyboard player. Um, right, and I, I, not every shot, but there's 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 a, a lot of recomposition. Whereas a lot of concert movies, you get the wide in the back, and then and they do a lot of straight straight wings. side, right. not like like not from the audience side, but from stage side. Right, and they do a ton of stuff where um, one of the singers or one of the musicians' head is blocking a light, so they're haloed from the you know the the spot Spotlights, behind them. Right. And it just looks fantastic. Like it just has this great, otherworldly, weird. Um, you feel like you're there, but it's not. Um, well, we're gonna get this jib, and it's gonna go over the crowd. You know, like right. n- none. Of, it was all locked down cameras, which I appreciated. Which means they didn't have any money. And for a lot of concert movies and live events now, they throw money at at cameras that move up and down and through the crowd and that no one is moving above your head in the crowd. You know, you're always standing in one place, but you have to like that stoner music, right? To, to appreciate it. Yeah. But I'm just, ta- if you like them, it's a great movie, but just as like a way to capture um, a live performance, I had never seen anything quite like it. And, and, and it was done out of necessity because they're not a big band and it was, it was done on the cheap. Have you seen shut up and play the hits? Yes. Did you like that? That was good. Yeah. yeah. That's the LCD sound system documentary. Yeah. Uh, chronicling their, their last uh, concerts in, um, in New York. Uh, my favorite, well, I, is probably the Monterey Pop Festival. Um, oh, yeah. That, it's a, it's, if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's a great documentary because it, it captures this, this time uh, where there's this transition of, I mean, it, it's, 
it's not like one type of music. It starts like Otis Redding is singing in it, and uh, um, and then you get to see the Who play. Yes, and it's one of the most spectacular uh, performances. It ends up with just they're destroying the stage. That and, doesn't sound like my Who. Yeah, uh, or, <laughs> it's from nineteen. Yeah, I think it was from. They shot it in the sixty-seven Monterey Pop Festival. Jimi yeah. Hendrix, right? That's well, his big. Yeah. So, so you, you know, they got the mamas and the papas and Otis Redding. And Otis Redding is amazing, by the way. He's, he's, uh, is that right? I think he was in that. Yeah, he's, that's right. He's amazing. Uh, no, no, I'm pretty sure he's in it. Oh, so D.A. Pennebaker directed it. Um, yeah. So he's one of the performers. And then you see the Who play, and they're, I think they do My Generation. And at the end, Keith Moon is destroying stuff. There's smoke pouring out. Yes. And then you see this, his bass drum just rolling across the stage, coming out of the smoke. And <laughs> there are like these swirls of smoke going. And, and they're still going. And Pete Townsend is just destroying his guitar. And you're like, how could anybody pop, top that? No. And then Jimmy Hendrix. And then Jimmy. <laughs> okay. And, and it's, that, that progression is just fantastic. I, it, that uh, that to, moment that that cr- smashing your instruments that that effect seems so distant now. Although when I was a kid, I was like, they smashed their guitar. I would see it every now and then. Some you know at a small club, some band would would smash a guitar, right? But it is it, like if you saw it now, if you're on American Idol and you saw somebody smash their guitar, you'd be like, what 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 are they doing? It's just or in Saturday what's, Night Live. What's a, what's yeah. a guitar? <laughs> like Cole, like actually, Cole, that would have helped Cole play a performance on Saturday Night Live. They they are like uh, audio ambient. They just put me to sleep. But people don't smash their instruments anymore, which I miss. I kind of think that's kind of fun and right. Yeah, but it feels so old now. Like oh yeah, it's uh, yeah, the '60s. Guys would I don't know. They just smashed their instruments. Like why? I, mean, I know it was a Pete Townsend thing. I think he started it. Yeah. But, I'm trying to think if I saw anybody do that. I've seen it, and it's exciting, but I think to a, a millennial or a gen, so it's gen beta, they'd just be like, why are you doing that? Why are you smashing that you're, iPad? You're increasing the carbon footprint. <laughs> yeah. uh, Darren writes in that Robbie Williams did sing with Queen, of as course. did Paul Rogers, of course. And, uh, and he liked Sign of the Times, and Metallica oh, S&M, and Cunning Stunts. I don't know. I don't know is. these ones. I don't know. Um, yeah, tweet in if you have any uh, concert movie suggestions. Uh, so, that, yeah, that was an excellent question, by the way. Thank you. Thank you for that. Not a mail statement. Um, and then here's the only other letter that's in the mail sack. Uh, this is from Ryan Connolly, a frequent contributor. So I work overnights. So I try to stay awake for the Tuesday morning show. Wow, it's tough. Uh, we'll be sure to listen to the podcast. Um, amid, amid love to you all. Um, OPS, I don't know if it's been discussed, but what's your view on spoilers? We talk about this. We talk about this all the time. My opinion is that it's uh, the journey, not the destination. So I don't mind knowing what is going to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there was a study done that uh, that said that people who knew the ending of a story, uh, it did not uh, before they experienced the story, it did not affect their appreciation of it. And in fact, I think I'm talking out my ass, but they, I, I seem to remember hearing that they liked the, the story better. Uh, my sister's very anti-trailer. Um, I mean, not anti, anti-spoiler. Like, so she doesn't even watch trailers. 
So, uh, but I, I like watching trailers. It gets me excited about the movies, and I don't mind if I see something, you know, that that is in the trailer that is in the movie. As as far as talking about tra- spoilers, yeah, I don't really. I I have a a very low threshold for for uh, waiting for stuff. I'd, I'd rather know, so I don't I don't mind. Do you, I, but in terms of discussing them on the podcast. My feeling is if it's been out for more than a, if it's been out on video, then it's fine to talk about the ending. Um, Everything's ruined now, anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's you. You have to if you don't watch Game of Thrones on Sunday night, you have to stay off social media because people like Dan fucking Etheridge will like the Red Wedding. It was uh, blah, blah. and I'm like, oh, well, there you go. I follow him on Twitter and just ruined it for me. But that's, right. that's, but that's on me. Everybody was talking about the red wedding, so you know some horrible shit goes down, and then oh, he told me what he said. What 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 happened? Oh, he did. Right. But that's but and if you look on IMDb at all, you see like oh, why isn't so and so in the tenth episode of that Mentalist? Oh, well. No, no one has ever done that in the history of IMDb. <laughs> uh, no. When you click on the Mentalist on IMDb, it goes why? <laughs> it just says no. It actually just says Marty, get back to work. <laughs> What are you wasting your time for? It's three in the morning. You're this dead, chick yeah. that I know that that uh, is a uh, a foe to Lance Mountain and some of our other friends. Um, another actress chick who is still working no, as an actress. Like me. Um, I guess was on Californication, which to I reply that's, a show? that's still on. Yes. I know it's a show, but I went that's still on. And um, apparently she shows her boobies, so I'm like, oh, I can see this girl's boobies, who I've always wanted to see. And I clicked on. Californication on IMDb and the list of people that have been on that show takes up 30% of the internet. It is just the longest list of names in the history of time. Right. Everyone has done a guest star on Californication. I was would not be surprised if I saw my own name there, like Steve Kruger, Concerned Citizen number 4. I it just Go go on it for for shits and giggles. I I've never seen the show. It could be amazing. It could be horrible. But it has been on for seven seasons, eighty, like ninety years. Yeah. Um. And everyone in the Screen Actors Guild has done a day on it, except for you. Except for me. I was expecting to see you. Know. Like maybe Marty's Jesus. been in this. Everyone's been in it. Uh, I think. But but it, it is true. Like you know, I've looked up on shows and seen like, oh, that person isn't in the you know is only listed under three episodes. And so you kind of know in advance what, what, like that they're not going to be, you know, it's only a short little thing. Right. So, or you read like on the, in the trades, like, Oh, doing a five episode arc on. Well, that doesn't mean they're going to die. No, but but you know that they're, they don't don't have a good agent. Right. Or they can't become a series regular. They're too expensive. Or they just need a little quick cash. Yeah. Just get me on something for a couple of weeks. Chris Brown said that live at Brixton Academy, um, which is a band called Pendulum. Are you a Pendulum fan? Only the pit end. Uh, that was something that he saw recently that he liked. Did you not get my Edgar Allan Poe reference? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Come on, give me a ding or something. Ding! Yes. Yes, ding. I don't know Pendulum. I will have to check them out. Um, I'll, I'll head over to the, the record store. Oh, wait. I, will, I haven't done that in a decade. What? Gone to a record store. I don't know what that is. I, yeah. I, there are these... We're old old guys in their sixties go and, and buy these um MP3s that have been pressed into into discs. It's terrifying. Well here's a little pendulum. When I'm falling down, will you 
21 million people have watched this or listened to this video on YouTube. Are they European? Mm. I'm sure Darren will let us know. All right. They're an electronic rock drum and bass band. Like Imagine Dragons, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Dubstep uh, drops here or there. I think they're English. Ah. and um, Better than Coldplay. Yeah. All right. I'll check it out. I'm willing to check it out. You you know what I was thinking, too? Because apropos of sort of something, I was watching watching a movie from the early 90s, and I, I don't know if this is a trope they do anymore, maybe... The listeners, maybe you know, but mm. it was uh, Color of Night with Bruce Willis, which is uh, just a delight of crap. Oh, my it God. Is. But that, that was directed by Richard. Um, did you see The Stuntman? Yeah, he directed it's The, the Stuntman. And yeah. then this, and then he was, um, he was done. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm out of cocaine. I'm done. Yeah, the Coke Hollywood. is out. By the way, everyone, if you haven't seen The Stuntman, it's a fantastic yes. movie. This is not a fantastic is, movie. No, it's, uh, no. Co written by Billy Ray, who went on to write uh, Captain Phillips. So. Hang in there, guys. You know, keep keep <laughs> it writing. Better. It gets better. It, it, it gets. But the character is in Richard New York. Rush. Richard Rush. The character is in New York. Bruce Willis's character, and he's and colorblind. Forget forget about the plot. It's called the color of night. Yes, that's it's vertigo. You see, take us take it take vertigo, and instead of he's afraid of heights, he can't see red, which yes. is awesome because there's a car chasing him, and he's like, "There's a gray car chasing me." That's that is the only. Achilles' heel he has when he can't see the, the color of red. <laughs> it's fucking stupid, but it's basically for, it's my uh, it's vertigo, my theory. Right. They took Vertigo and they said no, totally, yeah, and so, like let's get a femme fatale that yeah. that really bad actress uh, from that Jane March. Yeah, she has not not gone on to great things. I checked her out on IMDb too. But anyway, the trope is he's in New York. His his, his patient kills herself, and he's got to get out of town. He got to get away from the the mess. So he's going to to L.A. Cut to a long lens shot of a plane landing. And the smoke coming off the wheels. And then he's just driving into the place in L.A. And I remember lots of movies where you're like, we got to get to Chicago. And then, which is you buy stock footage from um, the airlines and they film this. It's it's to let the audience know the character took a plane (laughs) To LA, and you don't see that anymore. They don't have a map with a dotted line going. That's that's like the 40s. This is like the 80s and 90s. And every movie, like we're going to Reno, the plane lands. By the way, Bruce Willis playing the lead character. I don't know if we mentioned. Yes, Bruce Willis. But it's you don't see it anymore. When when someone says we're going to LA or we're going to another place. They just end up there. We don't need to see the plane landing to to, to know. Oh, right. Right. They didn't, he didn't walk there. A helicopter shot of of uh, you know the Statue of Liberty, and then it says Hong Kong. Yes, that exactly. was in a fist, fistful yes. of yen. Yeah. Yes, but it's that. And I've gone through this with Ding Dong Network execs. Like, how, how do how, how do, do we they know? know? How do they know they got that to the Rome? Audience, yeah. Well, we show a shot of St. Peter's Square. They're in Rome. They're not in East New Jersey. Well, what about a shot of the plane landing? Well, they didn't. They didn't take a zeppelin there. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the zeppelin coming down. Right, they show they show him like sneaking on a, a submarine. But I always thought about because I remember knowing someone who worked at a company that leased that stuff out. Like when you make a movie, you don't then go stand at an airport and shoot right. a a Greek shot of a plane. Meaning you don't see the what you never see the plane 
uh, logo. It's an underbelly shot of a plane landing or taking off. Wait, so what made you think of Color of Night? Because I saw it in it, and I went, they don't do this anymore. Oh, you just saw it recently? Yes, I rewatched it. Oh, my God. It's so terrible, isn't it? Oh, it's it's delicious. Deborah Kerr Unger in it? I don't know. It's just dog shit. But oh no, that's a different movie. But um, but I'm thinking about recent movies, and I you know I can't remember the last time they used that shot. I know someone will prove me wrong instantaneously. Yeah. But well, as an audience member, when someone says I'm going to L.A. and then you just cut to the Hollywood sign, yeah. do you think did they walk there? <laughs> Was is there a high speed high speed magnet train that 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 took? No, they just Here, flew. Here's all you need is like if they're going to China, then you just add a little. You know, whatever. You just do a music cue with it. Yes, but it was Indiana Jones, and I remember he gets on the plane, and you see the the double exposure of him on the plane, and then just that map with the line right. stop, stopping. And they stop at places, and I'm like, well, why'd they stop there? And I remember asking my dad, like, well, they had to refuel the plane. I'm like, is this important to the story that he's he's well that we had to land in this city and then switch planes and right that would you know what we should make a meal we should make a movie and make a meal out of it. It's like. Bruce Willis says, I, I got to go to L.A. And he leaves JFK, and then he stops in Chicago, and, he, and it's him eating a hot dog. Because <laughs> right, right, he has with, a three-hour layover. Right, with celery salt yeah, on and it. He, and uh, he gets Chicago on a plane, and he, and he goes to Burbank, and then the Uber meets him there. Right. And, and it goes like, in and out. Yeah, and, like, um, I, no, we understand how air, air travel works. Okay. I don't need to see. So clearly audiences are more sophisticated now because we God. don't need to do that. Thank God. So, but what are there tropes that annoy you right now? I don't go to the movies anymore. Why no, because um, uh, they're all terrible. Um, no, I, 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 I we're in a, an age now where, you know, and I'm just and I'm just picking on establishing shots because this is this is the thing that draws and the day to night. You know, like we have to see the sun go down and then the morning dew, and it's like. I understand. That, like every twelve hours, the sun comes up and goes down, and but like establishing all- shots should. Like they, I, I guess they do serve to to uh, establishing shots or things like that. Like um, they 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 offer some backstory, but they also establish a mood. And I think if you can put mood into it, like that makes it all the better. I know, but I've just been in so many protracted conference call arguments with people where they're like, "We need to see the sun go down and then the sun come up to right. know How that it's they the know next day." Like, and yeah, I'm yeah. like. It's morning. He's eating breakfast. Well, who? Move, moving on. Right, right, right. Yeah. But, but the audio, how? Oh, that, just, they'll catch up. Just they'll this, like, up. how did just you know? arguing with this guy? Like, how did they get to Rome? They fucking flew. Do you want to? Do you want to use nine minutes of screen time of them? You know, waiting in line at, at uh, customs. Like, no, we know how we get there. Needless to say, Darren says wrote in um, the usual suspects: uh, a four-engine plane takes off, a two-engine plane lands. Nicely done. Nice. Yeah, and I yeah. rewatched that. And I, I think bum, I, bum, bum. I, I think I remember that. Like, I, I we get it. We don't need that shot. We don't need. There needs to be more a more economy of of, of storytelling language in film. And yeah, and the plane lands. Ooh, just, I, I guess in the eighties you're like, ooh, they have big time money. They they get on a they got a jet airplane. Uh, they didn't drive across country. We we know this. The uh, Chris Brown writes in. Did you see the? Did you guys see the raid two? No, so, not yet. Um, which do you prefer? I'm, I'm can't wait to see it. I love the raid. That um, I hear good things about it. Um, the raid or the raid two? Raid two. What what story was not 
completed in the well, raid. Well, apparently one. there's actual dialogue in the raid too. Okay. Yeah. So that's, a, that's an improvement. There's more story, but no, but I didn't need it. Any and do they do they do the same thing where they sh- start with guns and then at a certain point they go, no, let's just hit each other with knives and sticks. Yeah, I think probably. I don't know. It, it happens. It, uh, from what I understand, it, it happens like as like it continues when he leaves the building. Oh, it's like that later that day. Yeah. Oh, that's that's quite a day he's yeah. having. It's like, can I just get a shower and a sandwich, please? Nope. But, we've got to go back oh. to. Doesn't he get shot in that? I don't know. I oh don't my remember. god. Uh, it's a really like the action sequences in the raid are outrageous. I'm gonna piss whatever few listeners we have at the left listing. Um, I watched Kill Bill 2 last night as I was working and procrastinating. Okay. That's why you're up all night, not because you had work. But you're... No, I, it was playing in the background. And every so often I would look over and I'd be like, oh my God, David Carradine is such a terrible actor. There's a reason why he... How dare you, sir? <laughs> How work. dare you? He is awful. And What's he known for other than Kung Kill Fu. Bill? Yeah, he's horrible. And his dad. Um, and jerking off while hanging? Too soon? Too come on, <laughs> come, come on, on, respect. Uh, and then when we're what what horrible part of the world was he? Thailand? Yeah, yeah. He's like, white dudes. I was when I came back from Hong Kong. Guy sat next to me on the plane, and he was a uh, had was had just been in Vietnam alone for two weeks. He wasn't alone. He's not alone. It's gross. Yeah, you should listen to. I was just walking the beach, just throwing a tennis ball, just meeting new people, throwing the ball at them. They catch it, and we start talking, and I was like. Oh God! <laughs> oh Lord! Um, Carradine was not over there just prepping. No, for no, a he movie. was. He was oh, right, right, right. He was um, doing bad things. Well, Bobby Lee actually talks about being in Bali and uh, working on a movie, and just and he talks about going to. Uh, I think it was on uh, Jay Moore's show, and it's just he is he holds back nothing. That that young man has no filter, and he's very funny. But yes, he does talk about. Getting his ass eaten out by a by a Thai boy? No, by a Thai, uh, Thai woman, a Balinese woman. Yeah. I feel like that's you want to do that with that's such an intimate thing. You want to do it with someone who you care about, who cares, or about you, you care about a little bit. Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm. She's going to be the mother of my children. You both at the same time care about her, and then also like yeah, want you're, to- you're not going to marry this girl, but you're going to keep fucking her for like another year. And okay, she could eat my ass, but. Yeah, like a stranger, it just I, I I I feel like you need to earn that. Um that's me. I'm very I'm very conservative. I'm very conservative conservative, I can honestly say it's not because I I'm I'm squeamish about it, but it just doesn't interest me, but it has not been part I, of I was my repertoire. I actually think about it last night. I don't know why, because this is what my mind goes to, but I think it's a young man's game. Really? I mean if a <laughs> if a woman asked me to do it, sure, but I've never felt like you know it's it's something you do when you're young it's like anal like you just when you're 63 and you're eating a 63 year old ass it's it's i mean think about how many times it's been used uh jenny marie (laughs) jenny marie agrees with me about david carradine and he's um, terrible he's terrible and he was terrible in death race 2000 sorry chris uh um but that was your only that was your takeaway from kill bill no Here's my t- my takeaways is that uh, in the training sequences, Uma Thurman is the least convincing martial arts person ever. Yes, like she just she looks like a runway model, like like trying to what like she's not graceful. Walk in high heels on on like slick ice. 
Like she just doesn't know what to do with her limbs. Hmm. And then, and then he's terrible. And then they have their final fight in the end, by the way, spoiler alert, then, which lasts like all of like two seconds before she like hits him with the death blow, the five finger death. Yeah. Exploding heart. And you're just bullshit. like, and you're like, Oh, thank God we didn't have to watch them actually fight because that would have been awful. Um, I remember reading the script uh, and loving it. The 300 page script? It was really long, and but I, I dug it. And then hearing it's going to be two movies, and I went, No. <laughs> I read the script. It's a woman kills the people who, who wronged who her. Wronged who her. done do her wrong. That's it. And yeah. it, it's back to like the Star Wars prequels. It's one movie. It's, yeah. a, it's a guy that gets mad at his Jedi and turns against them and becomes. Uh, Lord Vader. Right. It's not three movies. Yeah, and it's and there's so many, much that is st- like he says homage to I'm sure to martial arts films, but they're just really bad. Like the, all the training scenes in there are just like lifted from these. It could have been um, one Shaw really Brothers. good one really good movie. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That, I, and, and I've said that about Jackie Brown. That should have been a 90 minute movie, and this should have been a a hundred minute movie, and. I mean, because yeah. there, there definitely there are parts that I like, but then there are just parts. He makes just, amazing scenes, but his movies are always. Uh, why, uh, that's no, just you, you already did that scene. There's so many training montages in that movie, and so many like great fight scenes. I, I, it, it, the Grindhouse movie is so frustrating. The uh, death, death trap, trap death, death, death proof, terror trap, death proof, death proof. I like Def Proof. Def that's Proof. my new my new metal uh, band. I, I I think that's probably one of my favorite. <laughs> but there's there's like two scenes that I go. You can get rid of that. Yeah. You can get rid of that. And it's it, I mean I know it's, I'm it's, I'm not a, a a seasoned cinnamon 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 cin- <laughs> cinnamon. I'm getting hungry. I didn't really have any breakfast. I'm thinking about uh, breakfast cereal. I, I, I the cinema is not where I make my living and do work. I like things to be to, to the point and yeah, yeah. and, and get, hook get hook it. people. And there's just like oh the first half of it, but once it gets going, it's the best car chase I've ever seen. Yes. It is so spectacular and, Ken and exciting. Russell, uh, 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 Ken, Ken Russell, Ken Russell, yes, Teresa no, Russell's husband, yes, um, whatever his name is, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is that's he's fantastic. Yeah. He's hilarious. It's like the best role he's ever been in. Yes, but uh, I feel like you could cut a couple of those like, diner scenes that oh go on God. for thirty minutes. Right. Yeah. Oh, you know, my favorite is when uh, David Carradine starts talking about comic books. And I'm like, all right, I'm just watching, like, Quentin Tarantino. He's just got a mic, and there's an earpiece, and he's just, now say this. Now talk about the Silver Surfer. Like, okay, we know. That was Crimson Tide. Um, I know. Here he talks about Superman. Um, I I know, but yeah. But in Crimson Tide, you're just like, oh, this is where where they brought him in to rewrite. or, Or this is what they paid... $2 $2 million for it. Not everything has to be in that kind of uh, Joseph Campbell, highly right, right, structured, right. Like, you know, hero of a thousand faces. I, I like it loose. I like what Tarantino does, but there's always a scene too long. There's always a, you know, no one has the balls to say, let's just cut that scene. It just gets in the way. And that's, it's one of the hardest things to do when you do that. This process is going, I was telling my dad how in this horror thing I did, I wrote it and I cut the scene more because we were running out of time, very low budget, and I wanted to get to the the big battle and didn't want to fall behind. And the director and the first AD, they just ignored me and and shot it. And I was like, we don't, I'm going to cut this. I wrote it and I love it. And I know I'm going to cut the scene. 
in post. I know the pace of this. I can feel it. This is the comedy horror thing? No, this was uh, something for Discovery about whatever, Exorcist. But Oh, that's uh, the thing uh, you went to Italy for. I, I fired the guy because he didn't listen to me. Um, but I was editing even before I was editing. I was going, I know I'm, I know I'm going to cut this scene out, but he wanted to pad his fucking reel and there's lightning and and rain so, and, and somebody else is paying for yeah, it. Yeah, when you write lightning and rain, that means two guys got to come out with a 50,000 gallon truck and hook up these pipes and then other guys with waterproof lights that that are queued in to do the lightning and the rain and I just went I I know I'm going to cut it. Just kill it now. And they went and shot it and everybody got fired. But um <laughs> that's that's a that's kind of the the training of television which Tarantino is not from TV. Mm-hmm. And the like, you're gonna you're gonna bore people. You're gonna lose them. You have to keep things moving along. And yet he keeps getting work, or he keeps working. No, he doesn't get work. His movies, uh, uh, right. he has he is his own genre. He is uh, his own style of music. So he can do whatever he wants. But um, it's the 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 hack in me keeps going. Just tighten it up. Just get in there and get. Wait, didn't didn't the scene already happen earlier? That's just me. Uh, Darren recommended Blue Ruin, which is a, a 90 minute revenge film. Uh, are there revenge films that are good? Like I, I watched like some of the Death Wish films recently. Yeah. They're terrible. <laughs> They're terrible. They're so what? Even those. What are those horrible ones with uh, Clint, Clint Eastwood? The oh. Dirty Harry ones. Yeah. They're horrible. Um, They're terrible movies. Yeah. There was nothing else going on in the 70s other than film. Like, so people I'm, fell in love with these movies that just stink. I am a uh, death wish. I I don't like. I, I'm not a vengeful person. I kind of feel like there's no no value in it. But I do like watching revenge movies. Huh. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess it's fantasy, I suppose. But um, there's a movie called The Horseman, which is it. It's this very grisly Australian horror film. I mean, uh, revenge film yes. that is. Very hard to watch. Um, but, like, I'm not in for, for, like, just the torture part of it, like I spit on your grave type of thing. I don't like that. But there's something about just getting into the the right mentality of that person. Like, so the horseman is just this unrepentant, like, very brutal revenge story. Um, can you think of one? Do you, do you, would you have a feeling about revenge films? I I don't know. I, I can't think of, of one that I... I I go to in my mind. It, it's a very simple story, as is right. uh, Kill Bill, and I'm right. I'm into more complex stories, uh, more nu- nuanced. This is basically I have to check off a list of people who wronged me, right? And it, and it, it gets to a very base uh, sort of uh, emotion, like like yeah, not, it's not like country music, you know? It's, it's like <laughs> it's like uh, executions, it's like capital punishment, yeah, bringing it all back, bringing it all around. back, beautiful. Tie it up in a bow. Yeah. Do they give Emmys for podcasts? We should yeah. submit this one. Yeah, they call it. Well, I mean, all the the Chenwick Park ones are are all based on revenge. And yeah, Old Boy is a revenge, but it's but it's complicated. So, it's so psychological and so complicated and so fucking twisted. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think of it as a revenge story because the right. guy who spoiler alert the guy who does it the, is, the bad guy is I I got my revenge and now I can die like oh that's oh. Wait, but he's it's the 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 narrative's flipped. It's yeah. a guy who doesn't know why he's the the object of revenge. Right, 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 right. So, 
Uh, and and the, this... the morality in it is very layered and twisted in that. So it is a, it is a little more complicated. I just saw this guy, uh, Mike, Mike, this Japanese... Uh, Takeshi. Takeshi. Takeshi, yeah. Mike. Um, I'd never heard of this movie. Obviously, Audition is the, yeah. the thing he's best known for, um, which oh, if you've not seen, is the best slow burn in cinema history. It yeah. just builds, and you're like, what the fuck... It, oh, oh God! No, yeah. no! And you're like, is this a romantic comedy yeah, like, at the beginning? Is, 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 is like, this three men and a baby? What? Oh my God! No, the bag moved. <laughs> uh, What's in the what bag? What the fuck is in that bag? What's in the bag? I had a Japanese half Japanese girlfriend at the time, and we saw it together. And anytime she wanted to annoy me and freak me out, which is the sound of her putting. No, she says it. She goes. Oh, I thought she goes. She's tapping needles into his, into his leg. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, oh I forgot. I, see, I, my mind is is editing it. Like she puts little needles in his leg and he can't move. Nope, into his eye. Tapping them in there. But he, I, I saw the beginning of this movie called Dead and Alive. Dead or Alive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that is one of the best opening scenes of, and I, it's probably on YouTube. Wow, Watch it is. It is I, I didn't pay for it. Watch the opening scene. Uh, it is the one of the most electric movie uh, like sequences you've ever you'll ever see. It's six minutes. It's a little cheesy music wise. It's like a little nineties, yeah, but it's like very well directed, like uh, crap rock. But it is unfucking believable it, it it is it tees off a movie like i've never yeah. seen and unfortunately the movie is not as good as that opening no. it's still a fine movie but i went to the end which has it has the most insane edit ending yeah of all time yeah, yeah. just like what yeah and like he's you wonder like i want those drugs that he's taken but yes um the, but japanese japanese okay yeah. they're yeah. insane yeah, they and, make but crazy it, movies. I mean, Ichi the Killer is great, but yeah. that opening is one of my favorite openings. I'm so glad you brought that up because I haven't thought about that in years. Like, I never I would, seen it. I own the movie; it's somewhere around here, and I would just watch that opening scene over and over again. It's, it's just, about six minutes. It's on the interwebs for free. I tried to buy it, but I, yeah. I bailed. And yeah, that's how you start a movie. And yeah, that's how you wake an audience. That's not Tarantino. That's not. Let me smoke a pipe and talk about how Jews are like rats. It's oh my god, <laughs> shit is that guy real. is fucking that guy up the ass, and then he gets stabbed in the neck, and the guy's getting fucked and, and blood and whoa. Drugs oh. And, oh. That guy just ate all those noodles, and now he's shot. The noodles. Are, oh, yeah, it's so um, good. That's a hard one to probably get going in America. They'd go. Um, no. I feel like that's a little. It's a little rough. Beginning. It's a. It's. It's just violence and sex and death and grossness. All right. So that is your takeaway for today's show. Yeah. Is, is watch that. And if you're making a film, don't use a shot of a plane landing. We know how people get to yeah. other cities. Um, just include this. The sound. The sound of. That's okay. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. We are at, at, at Nooner Dan Marty, Nooner Podcast at gmail.com. Because we need, if you haven't sent an email, send an email. Tell us something about yourself. Ask a question. Um, thank you, Steve, for giving us a glimpse into your horrible, weird, crazy, twisted past. Not wonderful. It was not wonderful. Um, but you turned out great and <laughs> All right. ish. Hanging in there. And... Um, Next week, Dan has said that his Tuesdays have just been really uh, crazy, um, and hopefully Emily will be back and Bill will be back because we used, by the way, this uh, the Indiegogo money to buy. I bought extra mics 
and extra mic cords and um and, and that larger, mountain of cocaine you've been doing all night? I've, I have not slept in seven <laughs> weeks since we started this thing. I wrote seven graphic novels this yeah. morning. They're so good. They're amazing. They're amazing. Uh, so thank you guys for that. We're go- like, we want to get everybody in together so we can take a group picture, so we can get those rewards out to you. But everybody's been super fucking busy. So thank you for hanging in there. And um, I, I'm supposed to be talking so I can get this thing going uh, so I don't have to... Uh, wiggle with knobs, but here, here we go. We'll see you next Tuesday. Great ending. Yeah. D- Nailed it. Show over. If that has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio.